Hello, and welcome to They Just Get It. I'm your host, well, I'm usually your host, Tyler Chisholm, but I've decided to sit in a different chair today. I am physically sitting on in the hot seat. It is our 24th episode. It's my one-year anniversary of doing the show, and I've had a lot of requests from people in the audience, friends, that are like, hey, when are you going to be on the show? So my idea started, my little brain started swirling, and I was talking to my good friend Scott Martin, who's sitting here with me, who's also a host, of, well, a multi-talented renaissance man, but also a host of his own podcast, Groundswell, which I highly recommend you check it out. And we were texting one day, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I'm like, hey, you want to be on the show and be the host and interview me? And here we sit. So good morning, Scott. Aloha. Ah, and fresh <laughs> back from Hawaii. That's right. Well, that, and that's, my, that's my intro, actually, on my, my own podcast. I start with Aloha. It's a nice way. I think it sets the tone. Like, this is going to be great. You're going to really gonna enjoy it. going to be chill. Yeah. Well, this will be a chill episode. This will switch it up a little bit with me being the, being the host interviewing you for a change. So I think this is really exciting, I'm sure, for the audience. Well, a little bit of what inspired me is when I listened to your first episode of your podcast, when you got interviewed, I think, I don't know, some guy. It was Ernest. Yeah. yeah. And it was great because I've known you for, we were talking off, off air, five, six, seven, I don't know. I've, we've known each other for a while, but I didn't really know your story, which is kind of part of why I started doing They Just Get It because you see these people in your life and you go, yeah, I know them. And I've realized through interviews, I've never known people as well as I thought I did. Listening to your intro episode, I was like, oh, this Hawaii story and stranded at the airport. Anyway, I got super inspired by hearing oh, your good. story. That was a little bit of my inspiration for even doing this. I got to thank Ernest for that. He's the guy that uh, started Pod Summit. Okay. So he was my he was originally the one that got me set up with figuring out how I was going to do my podcast, and he's the one that inspired me to actually do that episode. So I said, well, why don't you just interview me? Because he has his own podcast as well. Oh, nice. Which is and the so, Art of Meaningful Work, which is a great episode. Okay, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, he was. Well. It was a great issue. It was a great. It was a great episode, and it really inspired me to do this. I'm right like, on. Hey, you know, again, someone I thought I knew that I didn't really that I didn't really know at all. Well, let's start getting into knowing who you are. Da 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 da. First well, questions. I'm, I'm going to throw the first thing out there that always I find throws people off the most is uh, I'm a farm kid. I grew up in southern Quebec on on a farm, not a dairy farm. It was a cash crop and custom harvesting and trucks and all that kind of stuff. We had a dog and a cat growing up. But I grew up in a farming community. It was about a 700, 800 person small town called uh, Howick, about 45, 50 minutes south of Montreal, just about 20 minutes from the U.S. border in southern Quebec. And the look of amazement people get when they go, they look at me and like the city guy in his city outfits going, you grew up on a farm? Like what is happening there? Was, so it, that fr- was, was it French mostly? Was it, um, English? Like- it, was a, it was a mixed community. So I would say like on one side, my neighbor was English. On the other side, the neighbor was French. So it was a real, I don't know if it 50-50, I would throw it out there, but definitely Quebec was, uh, it's mixed. Like, but did your family speak French? I no, guess. they didn't. Oh no, good question. Sorry. No, I grew up English. So okay. I grew up going in French immersion, doing French classes, but yeah, Chisholm, last name, Scottish heritage, all my family's uh, English speaking by nature. I know everyone thinks that because you're from Quebec, you must be French, but no, definitely grew up in an English household. What's your favorite memory of being in a farm? Oh, so many. Um, I was thinking about it coming on the show, of course, a couple things that really define one thing. I'm a bit of a gearhead, so I love anything that speed, move, mechanics, engines. And growing up on a farm where you were exposed to like, okay, drive the tractor, you know, when you're seven years old, and then you get to drive the pickup from one end of the farm to the other when you're nine years old. So driving and doing that was awesome from a, like, I think that stick stuck with me, but I think one of the biggest things and I was thinking about this, I see, I know a lot of friends now and like they go off to work and they don't see their kids during the week or they see them when they get home and things like that. My dad went to work across the yard. So I started hanging out and like, I went to work with my dad cause we were on a farm. You live at work. So going in the tractor, riding in the truck with my dad, spending time in the garage. My mom was very involved too, but 
I had a really good relationship with both my parents, but being able to grow up working with my dad and kind of going alongside, you don't realize it at the time, but I think that was something that was a real defining factor that now as I get a little bit older and look back on it, that it was a huge opportunity of what it, what it taught me that, you know, different environments, you wouldn't have necessarily had that opportunity. What did he teach you? Oh, well, you're getting really pointed with the questions. Well, I mean, I think the one of the things that, that <laughs> I, you and I share in a value, and I'm just as a guess, is uh, self-sufficiency. Yes, self-sufficient. And I mean, something because my dad was a farmer too. I grew up a little bit. Like my dad spent some time okay. as a okay. farmer as well, and he, that was one of his values that he espoused on me. I'm curious if that was something that I would I would say hard work. I would say hard work yeah. first. Like my dad, like yeah. it was almost sometimes too far down the path. My dad was like, you were defined by your work ethic, yeah. but in a, in a resourcefulness and resiliency in a like living in a farm environment. Everything goes wrong. Things break. The weather is always, you know, either for you or against you, depending on the day. So being able to deal with the fact that, you know, oh, it's five o'clock. I'm going home. It's like, no, no, you're, we're going to get the job done. It didn't really matter what time of day it was. It was seasonal. Maybe it's going to rain tomorrow. That would affect the crops. So it gave me a really different perspective on work was about getting done what you need to get done. It wasn't about a nine to five. It was about, okay, if this breaks, you've got a wrench you've got some ducts, you've got some uh, black electrical tape and maybe a hammer. How do you fix it? How do you, you know, so I think that's where the mechanic side came was a little bit of enjoyment, but also a lot of necessity. So I think resilience, resourcefulness was a huge thing on the farm. Like you always were, were, were figuring shit out. <laughs> so give us a time frame. So how, from how long in your upbringing were you living on a farm? Uh, well, I was born in 73. So I just, I just had my 46th birthday like two days ago. So in November right. 5th. So yeah, that's, uh, that's, a, that's, that's real. We'll talk about that. That was, a, that's an interesting, it's like 46. What, what, what do I think about that? But you know, I lived on the farm until I was, um, I was 18. I moved into Montreal to go to college. So I went to John Abbott college. I was doing my, um, my first, my first passion and my, my, my first intended career was to be a pilot. So I started flying at a very young age that was all still living on the farm. So I'd work, I'd work part-time for my dad. I would go, go to school. Then I would go to night, night Wait, classes. How old were you when flying. You uh, 16. So you're 16 and you're getting your pilot's license. I, I got my private pilot's license. I got I my, think I'm seeing a trend here. Keep I got my on. private pilot's license and my driver and my driver's license permit all in the same time, time frame. Badass. In hindsight, like who gives a 16 year old access to an aircraft and lets them take it and go fly around? Like, I think I was 17 when I could rent a plane and go and, I used to. Was that expensive though? Uh, I I think back then it was all relevant. I think it's different now to go it as a hobby. It's a very you know the old joke: a plane is a hole in the runway you throw money into, kind of thing. Like the like the boat analogy. But when it was then, it was that was my career. So I was investing in it. I would work to you know didn't incur a lot of debt because I was lucky enough to be in an environment where I could always work on the weekends, work after hours on a farm. There was always you pay as you go when you're training a little little bit. Yeah, so it was about seventy eighty bucks an hour to rent a plane. But when you're seventeen, that's that's a real number. But it was always geared towards like, this is what I want to be. Like my mom has a letter she sent me that she found. I wrote in like grade five about, I want to be a pilot. And that was like my path because when you grow up driving tractors, what's the next coolest thing? Well, it's clearly an airplane. Like I want to drive. That. It's faster. It's faster. It's freedom. It's everything <laughs> that I love, which we'll get into. But uh, so I, I lived in Quebec till I was 26. I lived on the farm. I lived with my parents till I was about 18, 18 and a half, then moved into Montreal, but I'd always come home on the weekend. So good first quarter of my life from, you know, zero to 26 years old, that farming environment and working with my dad and in the family business was, was a big part of it. Right. So 26, what's then? What well, well, so multi-commercial IFR. So I graduated. I'm like, I got my college degree. Um, in Quebec, I didn't do university. I, ended up, I did CGEP because that's the, you do CGEP. 
It's a, it's basically an interim step. You only go to grade 11 in Quebec school system. Oh, and then okay. you go to two years of CJEP. And then from there, you go on to university. Right. So it's two years of more like a university-style environment. And you, it's a basic degree program. It's not um, like you're not getting your bachelor's. You're getting a, a degree in pure and applied science. But my goal was I'm going to be a commercial pilot, but I don't want to be the pilot who only has a high school education. So let's get let's do college and right. do it at the same time. Got a science degree because that made sense. I, was, I got it. I liked sciences. Um, did I think one marketing course in school, which we'll come back around at the end of all this and, uh, got graduated, got my commercial IFR, which was the ability to fly anything under 12,500, you know, so maybe like a, a 12 seat aircraft commercially an instrument, you know, everything I needed to do to get that first job. So uh, Quebec, there wasn't a lot of jobs, but you know where there was jobs was out West. So let's move to Alberta. You can work in the oil patch. You can fly guys back and forth. I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't even know what the oil patch was at that time. So you're 26 year old. Yes. You leave. Quebec on your own. Yeah, actually, I'm on my own. I was dating with a, dating a girl at the time whose parents had moved out to Calgary a little bit beforehand. Okay. And so. yeah, so I had a little bit of a launch week, but I'd never been to Calgary. So I packed up my car in the beginning of February of 2000. So uh, the 2000 happened, uh, Y2K, the world didn't blow up. I'm like, okay, I'm going to move to Alberta now. This, this is, we're, we're good. I'm going to do In the this. dead of winter. Yeah, in the dead of winter, I decided to drive Great across idea. Canada. Again, in hindsight, I was what was I thinking? It's February and I'm in Northern Ontario. I think my first stop was Wawa, Ontario. Anyone who's driven across, they know yeah. that spot, the top of the lake. And I'm like, what? It's snowing. And like literally the roads cleared up the next day and we had 95% dry asphalt the whole way. But in hindsight, what was I thinking driving across Canada in the middle of February? Winter. Oh my Back to resilience. And well, I guess my, you know, as my buddy who's a pilot says, well, we're going to check, you can check the weather, but we're going to go anyway. So don't bother. Like we're doing it. You know, I think when you're young, you're like, I mean, probably what, what speaks to me on that is you're just leading with your heart. You weren't thinking with your head, right? I think. As we get yep. older, we always look <laughs> well back said. at yeah, that absolutely. and we go, we think, we maybe think too much a little bit. Maybe it's time for us to shift back to being, working, like living our life a little bit more with our heart. You That's know? interesting. Yes. It's like, you know, I think back at some of the things like uh, back to the, the, the pilot, I used to rent a plane. I used to skip, skip class, go rent a plane and then go buzz my high school. Nice. With a little like two seater sure Cessna one five six. Oh, it was ridiculous. Yeah, well, you know, you think you're pretty cool at the time, you know, living with your heart, but also like the. If I look at the risk, which I look at differently now, some of the things I did when I was younger, but they oh, were all yeah. they were all personality, you know, life defining moments. <laughs> I always wonder how did I survive. Uh, my best my stories youth. come from my worst decisions. <laughs> okay, give yeah. me a, give me one. Um, I think almost everything that I've ended like I remember one day like oh. Worst decision that ended up in a best story of skipping school, renting a plane and buzzing my gym class, getting in trouble, kind of, sort of, but you know, Hey, well, good story. We moved on. We survived. Um, another time renting a plane, not doing the weight and balance calculations, getting on too many like big guys on board, doing a, doing a low fly and realize like, Oh shit. Like I don't have enough juice. Like almost running into some trees, like just ridiculous Whoa. stuff. Then if we get back and they're all like, Oh man, that was amazing. Like, one night we rented a plane. Um, it was Canada Day. We rented a twin-engine plane, got six of us in the plane. We flew to Ottawa in the dark, flew around in a circle to watch the fireworks on Capitol Hill. Uh, not Capitol Hill, but on uh, Parliament Hill. Go to start flying back, and I get disoriented. I'm like 20 years old. I got all my buddies in the plane. They're all having a time of their life. I flew around for circles, staring at the ground for like 20 minutes as the, as the fireworks are going off. And I just turned, pick up my heading to fly back to, to Montreal. And all of a sudden, like, I didn't know where I was. I was disoriented. Like spatial unaware? I just was like, 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 I didn't have the leans. Like, I was still like, it was right. a clear night. It was a beautiful night. You're all stacked up at like at 500 feet in a row. There's a bunch of planes all doing what, what we thought we were the only ones who had this great idea. 
not the case. So anyways, the air traffic controls got you all stacked up and then, okay, they funnel you all out to where you're headed back. I remember we're three quarters of the way back. I can see Montreal. So, okay, I know where I am kind of, because Montreal aren't that far. If you're yeah. up as, once you get to a certain point, you can see, okay, there's Montreal. <laughs> but I didn't know where the airfield was. Like, it was like panic central. Nobody on the plane knows what's going on because you're like, you're the captain. Keep your, you know, keep your, keep your shit together. Back to resilience, resourceful. So, okay, go back to my training, figure it out, call for a position report. They say, oh, here's where you are. And I was like, I was on, I was on the right course. I was where I was supposed to be, but my mind was just playing tricks on me, panicking. I remember that night when I landed. We landed, we got on the ground. Nobody really knew. We went to the bar and I just got completely smashed because the stress, like it was the first time I experienced of like, oh, wow, okay, this isn't like, this is real. Like this is what happens when things go horribly wrong. Great story to tell now. Everyone, my buddies tell, hey, remember that time we went? And like, yeah, my version of the story is like, yeah, remember the time I like didn't know what was going on. I thought I was going to kill six of my friends. Like it was, <laughs> it was an intense experience. Is that a pattern? Like in your life, do you find that you, um, well, in a good way, yeah, yeah, um, no, that nice. you find that you're exposed to extreme stress and people think that you just always have a common collected and the reality is that, you know, you're just holding it together to be a leader or something and really underneath it, you're really Completely freaking out. Yeah. I would say 100%. This was, reminds yeah. me of a conversation my wife and I were together uh, maybe a couple of years and she was talking about self-confidence and I was kind of coaching her a little bit. She goes, well, what do you know? You're always confident. I was like, whoa, whoa wait a I second. I know, I get this. It's like, yeah. what do you mean always confident? She goes, well, you just act. I said, well, there's a big difference between like what's going on inside and like, yes, I take that step over the line and do that thing. But man, inside I'm freaking out. I'm doubting myself. But I still love it so much. I keep putting myself in those situations. So it's, yeah, it's a hundred percent a pattern. So it's yeah, like that. You it's it. like that quote. You know, courage isn't the absence of fear; it's moving forward, anyways. I would say that's a really nice underpinning. If I look at some of the stuff I've done in my life, some motorcycle racing. My business partner and I went motorcycle racing in Italy. Signed up for the highest level course you could take with Ducati to do this really didn't think that through at all we get there we both go out on the track the first time with these guys that essentially ride at pro level we're riding uh 1199 ducatis on the uh, moto gp track in uh, nisano so we're like this is the pinnacle like this is where the pinnacle of motorcycle racing happens and i go out there on this track and we both were like i'll speak for myself i just don't know his look to me and my look to him like i was so far out of my league like i was like this i'm we're doing 260 270 I'm, 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 I'm kilometers an hour. I'm riding with guys that are ride this track all the time that are super good. We're all on the same bike and the coach is like, well, we have the same motorcycle. Just keep up. Like, what's the problem? I was like, what am I like? I'm still sitting here today. So it worked out, but that was the one in recent memory. I was like, what was I thinking? But yet survived it, figured it out, you know, picked up my level. Like that was an ins- insane day, but absolutely. I went in. So could you go action. back and do it again or would you? That's a tough. Yeah, I've 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 been on a racetrack since then. That environment, I would I don't I don't know. I would have to now that I know what it is. I I don't know if I had the right to be there. Right, <laughs> I was but, way outside my level. So I'm glad I did. I don't regret it for a second. <laughs> but it pushed you, right? So it this did. is like life, right? It's pushed you. So when you went back to your regular racetrack, you probably were going. This is easy. I wouldn't get, I wouldn't be that cocky, easy, but, but the respect that I had, the perspective that I gained around it, my own humility of like, okay, wow. If you thought you were even good a little bit, I saw what good was. So the humility, like humility awaits us on every corner. So I didn't go in with an ego. I went in, I think a bit ignorant, right. but if I had any ego that got clipped off right at the knees. Well, that sure. First, I mean, that how first many times time have we done track? things in our past where we're going, um, if I knew what I know now, I would never have done that. <laughs> yes. So or I would have maybe approached it very, very differently. Very differently. Yeah. So what's another example of that that's in your life that's changed or shaped the way that's got brought you to where you are today? 
Oh my god, so many something that stretched you like beyond that that most people don't know or understand. Maybe it's a personal thing. Yep. Um, that really has reshaped sort of the the way you think or the way you approach things. Oh, that's so interesting. I think it's a series of things that that did that. And you know, is it it getting ready for the show. I was thinking about from a resiliency perspective, like where were those moments? Where were those? You know, where did I get the ch- where did, you know the journey and the challenge, the good old hero's journey, like we joked about before. Um, I think a pinnacle one, which is a really dark time for me, and something I don't talk about very much, and, and I should because I, because it it's we're all human and we go through these things. Um, this was not that long ago. This was about twelve years ago. I had I had a I had a business go sideways. And I think that was different than going motorcycling and doing fun adrenaline things. But let's talk about like a super real life. Like I put right. myself in those situations. Arguably, I put myself in this one too, but in a much different way. It's a different challenge. It, com- completely. But in terms of life defining and like that, you, you, you get knocked down so you can, you know, you, the life will keep surfing you up that lesson. So I think a little bit of arrogance, ignorance, blind spots, thinking I knew more than what I knew. But I had a business go sideways. So I sold a business. I had a fitness business for a few years. It was a great business. Really good culture. It's where I really fell in love with brand. It's where I met my current business business partner. There was a lot of really life defining, you know, I literally took my hobby of health and fitness and everything I loved about it and made the pivot. There was a pivot back a little bit earlier when I decided that that the aviation industry wasn't happening. So that was a different one. I don't think that taught me the same that just rolled with it. This one was much more um, grandiose in its impact. Sold okay, I need to move on. I want to get into marketing. I really saw the passion in the business world, fell in love with the power of branding and the ability to create identity for companies and connect with people. Like I just loved it and said, okay, I've kind of done it in this current business as the business owner and it's been successful. It's worked really well. And I was going through cycles. Like I was kind of like, I'm done with this business. It's time to move on. So I'm like, I should sell it. Got a broker, went through that whole process, found a buyer. It was good. We had good negotiations. We worked through it. We found we landed on a price. It wasn't a big. This wasn't a big, big. This wasn't a multi-million dollar deal. It was like a couple hundred thousand dollar deal. But at the time, it was real. It was your first first deal. A big deal. Yeah, absolutely. So sell the business. The deal gets done. And then about two weeks later, I get a call and they're like, "Well, we we don't. These numbers don't make sense to us. Or, well, we found this and we didn't realize that's what it meant." And I'm like, "Well, you. What do you mean? I thought you were clear. I thought I was clear in articulating. I wasn't. So I guess sit here and blame and say, "Oh, you didn't get it." Or, so anyways, we we ended up going into arbitration and I ended up getting the business back like seven months later after they had essentially run it poorly, pulled all the cash out of it, sold a bunch of personal training and nutrition coaching to members, took the money. Then all of a sudden now I inherited this business back. Because again, I get it. They felt, I'm not being the victim here at all. They probably felt like I misrepresented. I thought I was crystal clear. I was not. My due diligence wasn't clear enough, deep enough. Was it ego? I think I just didn't know better. Anyway, you slice it. It's a punch to the gut. Oh yeah, I didn't know. I don't think, yeah, again, I'm, I'm going to unpack it now even as we're talking. And all of a sudden like, okay, I've, I inherit this business back, basically closed. People I knew got lost money. I lost money, probably lost kind of close about 225 grand at the time. So that was a real, that was a real punch for sure. And the humility, the realities of like, man, I need to move forward. This has happened. Like it was the MBA by trial and fire of like learning what I didn't, what I thought I knew about business, what I thought I knew about the finances. Oh man, it was a, it was a reality check that about 12 years ago that I would say clearly I wouldn't be, and I'm going to say this loosely, successful the way I am now if I hadn't learned those lessons. The things that it taught me and the arrogance and some of the things that, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know, but I thought I, but I thought I didn't need to know it. I, I don't think it was that deliberate at the time, but yeah, that was a real pinnacle moment. I would say a turning point for me where if you look at life, it was a nice build up to that point, And that was a, okay, we're going to knock you back down to the ground and you're going to start again. And that was about 12 years ago. And I, it feels like the way three or four different personalities ago, if you will. But yeah, that's the first time I've really talked about that. I haven't talked about that story in a long time. So yeah. So that's, that's definitely made you stronger in a lot of ways. 
Absolutely. Because I also, back to the resilience, I had no choice. I had yeah. to come back for it. I remember the night sitting at home. It was like a Friday night when it all happened. I'm sitting at home with Fiona on the couch, just feeling like absolutely defeated. And she's like, you know what? Again, amazing wife, amazing support, which I would, would I have got through it the same way without that in my life? No. Sim- simply put, you are the, you are the, you are the strength of the people that you surround yourself with. And I had a lot of really good support networking people, even business people. They're like, Hey, listen, this happens. This is life. This is just your turn. We'll support you kind of more of that mastermind group. So really bringing like really tapping into the mentors around me. But that night sitting there with, with my wife going like, okay, like we're going to get through this. We're together. We've got that. We're healthy. We're good. Like we're not, this was financially a big hit, but we're not out. We are like, we're going to come back from it and just started to rebuild from there. And I remember it was a Friday night sitting in the basement of my house down in new Brighton, just like watching a movie, staring blindly at the TV. And the next day they start the gradual process. And it was months of just feeling, um, well, if that was, I'm 46 now by mid thirties, mid thirties. So yeah, mid thirties, early, close, yeah, early thirties, 32, so, 33. So let's just close the gap between 26 to 30. What happened in that time frame that led to that, because we, what I'm missing in the oh, yeah, storyline no, yeah, is gap. Yeah, absolutely. the gap that got you there. No, fair enough. I moved to Calgary um, okay. to fly. Uh, I think back to resilience. It's funny what you say. I never think about being resilient, but I think the most times I heard no was 81 times. I called 81 different flying companies and they laughed at me. 80, like Some of them laughed. Some of them just said no. Looking for a flying job when I first moved to Calgary when I was 26 and a half, 27. There's 81 companies in Calgary. That yeah, there's a book said- that's published by Transport Canada where you literally can have every operator from a single plane all the way up to Air Canada with their name and contact number for the chief pilot. Oh, wow. So I just like... Just called everybody. Cold call. Yeah, yeah li- literally di- dialing for di- dialing for, for airtime, basically, yeah. is what it was. <laughs> Turd, no. Uh, I'd moved to Alberta, Central Mountain Air, which is a company at the time. I'm not even sure if they're still around. They had laid off about 50 guys with turbine time, so I'm the 440-hour pilot, so I'm nobody. Like, I am the bottom of the, yeah. of the totem pole. But I, they knew, no one told me that. I got my, I've got my, my license here. I'm good to go. I'll get a job. And then not long after, like, within that year, 9-11 happened. And the aviation industry was done. There, nobody was hiring. The whole aviation took a significant downturn. Obviously, mm-hmm. a lot of industries were impacted by by that on a, on a global scale. And I kind of had that fireside chat with myself of like, okay, like I've been doing this since I was 16. I'm 27. This isn't the path. Like I would have cleaned planes. I would have done I had three jobs. They fell through. Anyways, there was a moment of like, do you stay resilient or do you just go read the tea leaves a little bit and go, Think, things are changing. So at the time I was working at Gold's Gym had just opened down in South Calgary, down the Canyon Meadows location. And I'd always been very passionate about health and fitness and my science degree really lended, really lended well to that. So I moved down that path and got a job at Gold's Gym, which, okay, this is really cool. It's a new gym starting in town. There was a really cool energy about what was going on mm-hmm. at the time. So I got to connect into that and I had a really interesting experience. There was a gentleman that they brought in to do training for everybody. Do you remember American Gladiators? I do. Thunder, Billy Smith was his name, was part of, if you bought a Gold's Gym franchise, he was one of the recommended vendors, like his company, Intrafit. They would come in and teach you how to run personal training and nutrition coaching out of your gym as a revenue stream. So Billy Smith Thunder, who I grew up watching on, like I think it was after Saturday Night Live on Saturday night or something, it used to play when I was back, to teach this course on uh, exercise, physiology, and nutrition. 300-pound monster bodybuilder guy, super smart guy, really took the time to understand the science of what to eat to get results, how to train, uh, really, really interesting guy. So first day of the course, awesome, I'm super bought in. I think at the time, I'm looking back on it, the gym owner had to pay a certain amount of money for every seat in the room. At the end of the day, he did the math and said, we can't afford this, fired half, the pe- fired half his staff. 
I was one of the ones that got let go. Just like, boom, up to this number, you guys don't come back tomorrow. I stood in the, in the, in the, the, the exit of the gym, flying had tanked for me. I'm not going down that path. I've decided to go, okay, I'm going to do this fitness thing for a while, see where life sorts out. So I walked up to the owner and I said, hey, I understand that, that maybe I don't have a job here, but can I just pay? Like, can I pay to take this course? Because like, I want to do this course from this guy. I will pay for my own seat. And then it was like, hmm. He goes, yeah, you can pay. Yeah, no problem. Like, come back tomorrow. Don't worry, we'll sort it out after. And I never ended up paying. I ended up going through the course, getting to know Billy incredibly well. My science degree really paid off. All of a sudden, I'm like, this is easy. Like, I've never, like, exercised physiology. I get it. You're just giving me a way to apply it towards health and fitness that I never, like, he bridged the gap. Uh, and you, being a kid, always a little bit overweight when I was younger, I was always like, what's the formula? What do I eat? How do I get big and strong? But how do I get lean? And, you know, chasing that whole thing. So I was like, oh, I found the holy grail with this guy. So I leaned in and became a personal trainer at Gold's Gym in Calgary. Ended up working for those guys out of LA. They used to fly me into gyms all over North America, Mexico, to teach other gym owners. So I started to do what Billy did for me. Here, I started to be their kind of guy out on the road, like 27, 28 years old, super into fitness, flying me around, going to all these gyms, teaching uh, nutrition and exercise physiology. And through the process, starting to teach gym owners how to market and sell the plot in hindsight looks, makes more sense to sell personal training because these gym owners were business guys that bought franchises. They didn't know how to sell. They didn't know how to brand. Most of them, there were some smart guys there for sure. And all of a sudden that's my, in hindsight now was my kind of introduction into this world of marketing, brand communications, presenting value to customers and getting them to, to give you money for it. And that's kind of how it started. So that was like, that filled that gap, which was led me to coming back to Calgary going, I want to get into fitness. The gym models over here, the weight loss industry is over here. It's huge. I don't believe that you can truly get results without a balance of nutrition and proper and proper fitness. You can't just work out like a maniac and eat McDonald's. You're not going to get good results. Same thing. If you just starve yourself to lose weight and never go to the gym, same thing happens. And at the same time, I read the 22 Immutable Laws of Branding by Al Rice. And one of their statements is, if you can't be number one in a category, redefine the category. So I said, okay, I can't win the gym game. I can't win the weight loss game. So how about, okay, you ready? Active weight loss. I'm like, oh, I like this concept. So then I developed body print, um, active weight loss and active weight loss program. And I built an online nutrition program where you could get your diet for you. You could get exercise recommendations. I built a brand around it. We, Chad, my business partner, I hired him to do my logos cause we met at some backyard, like uh, fire pit party, which was a total Calgary thing I'd never knew about and, uh, started growing the business. And that's like from 26 to 34 or so, I would say that was the path. So that was a real long-winded story. I really got no, going on that. They closed the gap, so now it's thir- now you're 34. You've you've got the the fitness business rolling. What happens? Well, decide to sell it. Decide I'm going to move into marketing. Chad okay. and I have a couple of bottles of wine, and we say, you know what, we're, you know what we should do? We should open an agency. That's that's a like that's going to be that's a cool idea. We should totally do that. He was he was a marketer. He was had a few clients. I was loving it. Him and I had been become really good business allies. Like we weren't right. drinking buddies. We were business friends. We'd get together and talk about business right. and have a beer, not just get together and you know party. It was always like a defining part of our relationship. We weren't the, we weren't that wasn't our friendship. It was always around business. Right. So you co- you co strategized ideas. Absolutely. Co conspirator. Co conspirator. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And we decided to open it. So at the time, we said, okay, sell the business. That went sideways. And I had, it was another one of those turning points of like, wow, okay, this went sideways, but I'm like, I've got this road ahead of me and this cool opportunity. I've got this great business partner. He's super enthusiastic, super talented guy. I love the ability to do fitness programs for companies because that's all it is. Here's where you are. Here's where you want to be. Here's what you're willing to invest. Here's what we want to get. Here's the results. How do I help you 
bridge that gap and get well, so there. you're going to be like an agency for fitness companies? No, not at all. My joke is that when I sit down with you and you want to lose 20 pounds or gain right. 20 pounds, whatever it is, I'll build your fitness plan to get there. When I sit down with a company and they go, hey, we want to grow revenue. Oh, I'm like, ah, oh, let's go. And I, I don't want to minimize it, but so often I was like, oh, you know what this is just like? It's just like doing personal training, asking really good questions, mm-hmm. figuring out what kind of effort, understanding the, the, the players. Is your family supportive of you? Are your clients? Is your staff on board? And for years, it was like in my mind, I wouldn't say it because it kind of sounds like it almost minimized it. But oh, it was no, such I, an interesting I background. I get it. I mean, I, it's funny because like, you know, I'm in growth marketing and some people are so enamored with, with uh, rapid growth. And I, I sort of like uh, liken it to steroids. You can do it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's but good, it's that's not sustainable. Analogy. Absolutely. Right. That's one of the biggest problems is that you're chasing this unsustainable growth and the real winners in business are companies that do things consistently over periods of time and make incremental changes. I know that sounds really boring, but the truth is that's actually the new growth hack. You're so right. I don't know how many people when I say like, okay, you're going to eat right. You're going to get a good night's sleep. You're going to drink water, water and you're going to exercise. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's the magic pill? Right. I don't want, like, I don't want that's yeah, yeah. I know that. Like, you know, I know an apple's good for me and a bag of chips is bad, but what's the secret formula? You know what? That's a really good that's comparison. Like I haven't thought of it that way. Because that's what that's what they're sometimes looking for. What's the silver bullet? What can we do for yes. what's the big idea that we can have that's gonna be the somehow and when yet they don't underneath it they don't have the they don't have the underpinnings of fundamentals. It's exactly it's exactly like that, actually. It's good. I haven't thought about the fitness comparison for a long time, but you're right. It's the quick fix. Our society we're so addicted to the the quick fix, silver bullet, magic pill, but you know, we all know the fundamentals are there, but the fundamentals aren't, they're not sexy, but they kind of are. <laughs> they are. I think as you get older, you start actually getting, you start really realizing that habits and consistency and doing things over the, over a period of time consistently create these exponential returns in all areas of your life, whether it's relationships you're investing in or business relationships or, or, you know, marketing and whatever it is. hundred percent. It's so funny. Even I'm a big goal setter, but I look at my goals now and most of my goals are about maintaining the good habits I've created. It's not about all these new habits. Like I'm going to, I'm going to do yoga more. No, I'm just going to keep doing yoga. I'm going to keep going to the gym. I'm going to keep getting good night's sleeps where, you know, 30 years ago, those were the, those were all aspirational goals. Now they're kind of, it's the operating system now, Yeah. (laughs) which marketing is so similar. Like what's always on, what are you always doing? What are you, how are you engaging with your customer? How are you getting customer feedback? Those are not sexy, but man, if you don't do them, the price is high. And if you do them right over time, you just get more connected with what your customer actually cares about. Mm. So let's talk about the, the, philosophy or the seed of what started the, the business with clear motive like oh nice started this because i think that you know if we if we're talking about like your 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 values are what your probably your business is is representative of all your values so you and your business partner probably share some common values we do, we do. so when you started the business what was the foundation and what was it then and what is it now mm, that's a really good question it's still built on the same fundamental foundation. Like it's evolved. And I think in terms of its sophistication and maybe our understanding of it, I don't know. I think it's still fundamentally there. We've just been going through some of this, you know, putting ourselves, we, you and I were talking about rebranding and yeah. putting yourself through your own process, which can be the shoemakers, kids and so all those. You're, yeah. the, you're your own worst client. Oh my God. Yeah. I know exactly how to be a terrible <laughs> client. I'm an expert at it, uh, but it's also been a really good process lately. As we've grown, you were a team of 30 between two offices and probably about the same amount of contractors getting different perspectives at the table and letting them to question some of the things that, well, this is just who we are and how we do it. That's been an interesting journey, but I won't, anyways, we'll get lost in that. Originally, I think what Chad and I really got, I, my, I'll start with myself and where Chad and I connected. 
the ability to create connection and, you know, go back to clear, clear motive. In, in, my, in my mind, every customer has a motive. They have something that's going to be important to them. They don't always know what it is. It's not always an articulated goal or maybe even, even realized, but it's there. We all have those fundamental needs and wants. And I believe there's also, as a company, I am so motivated to, to get that product what, or service in front of the right customer. So my job has always been to bridge the gap in the middle. And I always joke, and I, I use, I'll use Honda on this one, that guy has been dreaming about buying a Goldwing motorcycle for 20 years. And these are, there's guys, they're like, okay, when I retire, I'm buying the Goldwing, mm-hmm. like it's the bike. That guy has been looking online. He's been on build and price. He's been collecting the, the, the brochures that I'm proud to say we've been creating to build this story for himself around what it's going to be like, this fantasy in his mind. There is nobody more excited. Uh, the only person more excited than him is Honda to actually sell him that motorcycle because that's why they exist. If you look at their core purpose and to provide you know, freedom and transportation and the things that they base on, if I can play at this space in the middle and unite those two sides of the coin, there's something about creating connections that I even love, like you know, introducing you to somebody that you do something with. Like that's the, I get a lot of joy out of that. You are it's a connector. One, it's yeah. one of my it's one of my kind of missions. And if I look at the company, that's absolutely what we do. And to do that well at scale, the amount of information that we need to know about both parties and then our ability to then go, okay, great. If I put these little breadcrumbs in between, it's going to connect these two groups together. That's always been, it's where the name came from, Mm -hmm. that clear motive and understanding it. And let's be honest, there's still a little, there's some secret sauce that exists in there. And sometimes you get it right and sometimes you don't, but you're always learning. But the more you talk, and I think more than ever, I think what's really changed in our world, even from 10 years ago, the empowerment on the client side has moved to the customer side. And the customer now has more information. They're able to find way more breadcrumbs. What I hear a stat the other day, I think it was six months ago, uh, Google Auto, we, uh, one of our summer team was at a conference and 31 touch points that a typical consumer will engage with before they ever break the doors of a dealership. Amazing. It used to be 16. Totally. Remember when it used to be five? Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, and that wasn't that long ago. We're not, yeah. we're not that old. And I've only been in, mar- in marketing for probably about 15 years. But one of the now. numbers I think skews that a little bit is this. This is my theory. Okay. Ah, so, yeah, I love, my theory. I love a good theory. Okay, cool. So is, my theory is it's true. It's part of it is that takes the, it's, we, it, we've gone to a point where it takes more touch points. And that might be partially because there's more noise and requires more attention to get there. However, I think that the buyer cycle is changed as well because a lot of those touch points were taken up by salespeople and now they're not actually talking to salespeople. They're doing the self-service 100%. sale. So that's, that's some of that gap is made up there. I'm not disagreeing with the fact that there's more, a no, more noisy world and it's harder to market, it, it but is. I think the sales role has diminished and now marketing is, is filling in that role with content. Because so, the customer is now more empowered. Yeah. You're right. I'm not going to, I don't need to call the sales guy. Cause it used to be, if you wanted to learn about the new cars that were coming out, you had to go to the dealer and talk to the sales guy yeah. or wait to see a commercial on TV and, or, and go to the auto show. Remember we used to like, Oh, I want to go see the new cars. I'll go to the auto show. I don't need to do that anymore. I can go online and self-directed and self-empowered. But you're right. Is even when there's as much noise as there is as a consumer, how quick I can cut through that when I want to find something, the amount of information that's there for me and the responsibilities of marketers and companies to lay that out in a way that empowers your customer. I think that's very exciting. Like even as a consumer, I love it. Like, you know, we all go down the rabbit hole. I was talking to a buddy the other day, we're buying some hunting gear and, and I, he said, well, where are you at? I said, well, I'm still in the, I've done about an hour and a half of research. I'm at the top of the funnel and I'm joking. I'm like, I'm not there yet. And he's like, oh, don't worry. I've got some free time. Cause he flies all summer. And so he's like, I'll go down the rest of the rabbit hole for you. I'll present the options at the end. And we were, even the way we were talking was like, no, I'm only about an hour into my research. I got at least a couple hours before I know enough to make this $500 purchase. Like we're not talking about buying a house here. It, it was just interesting, but I know that if I start 
going down the rabbit hole, that information's all there for me. It's all online. I can find it. And the company's curated some of it. Guys like you and me have put up videos. It's an interesting world that we live in. And I'm really excited about our fundamentals are the same in terms of clear motive and what we believe. The tools and the way that it happens is is changed significantly. And I, I think for the better. I love so it. So the evolution is still about connection? Absolutely. 100%. So that segue about that connection, because what, what I see is that is pervasive also with your this podcast it's about connecting to the community maybe talk about let's just kind of because we haven't really actually gone into that to talk about the thing that we're actually doing podcast you know and what let's talk about the podcast because that's is that based on this connection or is it based on something else Uh, it's based on probably a bunch of things yeah it's uh, i'll start with they just get it which is the one we're talking about today i started about a a year and a half ago the idea came up i had uh, there's a gentleman here who worked with us uh chad newfeld him and i chat about it quite a bit like you met chad i know chad yeah Uh, yeah, so we talked about it quite a bit and we were going to do it and he's like i don't really have the bandwidth and you know i was going to kind of go with him kind of the millennial perspective and the older Mm -hmm. you know older white guy perspective that and that's what we just started bouncing it around and I felt a couple of things. I'm like, wow, I love, I love the medium. I love podcasts. I only, I tend to listen to all these podcasts from people from all over the world. I didn't hear, I didn't see a lot of local stuff and that maybe wasn't my intention. I think it kind of happened that way. I also got, I'll, be, I'll tell you the frustration that I was rallying against. I got really tired of people minimizing other people's success because they didn't take time to like be curious and ask questions. They're like, oh yeah, so-and-so they're really lucky that they have that business. I'm like, I don't know about lucky. Like I have a business and some days I don't feel that lucky. Like I feel like mm-hmm. I'm working my ass off or oh, that person. Oh, you know, they're, they're, their parent, their parents had money. Like, yeah, it's not like it's them. Like they didn't really do it. And I'm like, this is really lazy and kind of shitty that we're minimizing people's success. And I said, okay, how are you going to, how are you going to not? And it was inspired by uh, how I built this. So that's, they just get, it was very much inspired by listening mm-hmm. to Guy Raz on how I built this. If you don't listen, check it out. It's a great podcast interviewing entrepreneurs. But again, these were these global success stories, you know, Dyson, Burton snowboards, great, inspiring. So I was like, wow, what if we, what if we started doing that for something local? And now a little bit, my own honesty, I wanted to get my brand out there, but I wanted to do it in a very authentic way. I didn't want to do a talking head of like, oh, here's Tyler preaching about something. I'd written a few blog articles that it just it didn't flow for me. I said, how about a podcast where I tell other people's stories? And I get connected with them. So to me, selfishly, it's great. I could have these amazing conversations. I believe it aligns with Clear Motive, but it still stands apart. It stands as something that it's, I also thought that Calgary's at a time where if we're not telling these positive stories, the negative stories are filling the void right now, especially the last three to five years. So it was a couple, it was a handful of things. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of, I cheated a little bit. I, I, the first few interviews with people I knew. So I interviewed Billy from Village Ice Cream, Chad Hughes. That's cheating. I mean, that's... I, so, fair, thank you. I, did, I, I made it very low risk. A buddy got me some sound gear. So I'm like, okay, there's no barrier here. Like I'm going to yeah. give, give it a go. And so Chad Hughes from Land Solutions, Carleen Donnelly from uh, Cups, and Billy. So two entrepreneurs. Uh, I would argue that Carleen is also an entrepreneur in the non-for-profit sector, just one of my most inspirational leaders I know in that world of how mm-hmm. she, and how, how she runs that organization to help as many people as they do. Did three interviews with them, and like I literally fell in love with it. These were three people that I quote-unquote thought I knew. I walked out of the room going, wow, I know you so much more. My relationship with you just improved drastically. So that connection piece, like I'm just talking about for me, not even the audience. I'm like, I felt warmer towards them. I'm like, it was such a human experience. And I always joke when I sit in the chair that you're in right now, 
I think I kind of become this version of myself that I've read about, about you should ask more questions than you, you should listen more. You shouldn't just wait for your turn to speak. You should actually just be in the conversation, be completely present for that other person. When I get those headphones on and sit in your seat, all of a sudden, I think I'm the world ends, you just focused completely. Yeah. And it's all about it's that other person. And yeah. for me, that was a really good journey of being a little bit like the insecurities and do I, am I good enough or do I have to present myself in a cool way? It didn't matter because it wasn't about me. It was about the guest. And then uh, the, the, the cycle of, you know, what's, I think it's uh, John Wayne. I can, get, I can get two months on a good compliment. I started getting some feedback. People were like, hey, man, I like your podcast. Wow, I love that story about Billy. What a great guy. Like, I really mm-hmm. love the way you interviewed. Hey, you know, like, I like your insights. Maybe you should share a little bit more. And all of a sudden, I'm getting this little, like, just enough little validation. Yes, yeah. I'm human. And I, and I still like that. And it started to take off and started to build it up. And my agenda wasn't some big plan of like master plan and do all these episodes and make money off it. I was just doing it because it felt like the right thing to do for me with the community and the people I knew. And it was all those things also you read about it, but don't do things for the passion and for the right intention. And it works out and it's been not, it's paid off spades to me just in my own personal journey of development. I've become more open-minded. I've met fantastic people. I don't think anyone has said no to the invitation. Everyone comes on the show. Mm-hmm my curiosity gets out of control because I can, like, I meet people and they're like, I want to have you on. They're like, what do you mean? What's my story? I'm like, Oh, don't worry. I'll, your story is awesome. You'll find it. Yeah. I got it. Don't worry. Yeah. Come on the show. So it, it's just this, um, someone called me disgustingly curious the other day. I took it. It was the nicest thing anyone said to me in a while. <laughs> well, that's so, the first thing I said to you. I said, I think that's one of the things I did, yeah. always admire about you is your, your just infectious curiosity about things. And th- this podcast has been absolutely a place to showcase that. And it led to collisions YYC, which, is through one of the guests. If you, if you haven't listened to any of the episodes, can if you want to. I'm always, I'm always still honored and surprised when anybody listens. Um, Kevin Crow, executive VP over at Longview. I met him through another friend, interviewed him. He's in episode number 10. Great story, really inspirational guy, lives a really cool life, ultra marathoner, was employee number nine at Longview. Now they're 1,500 employees. Like just a rock, has his own, uh, have you heard of Give a Mile? No, I haven't. It's a charity where you can donate your air miles to families that have oh, uh, family have. members in like palliative yeah. or long-term care. They can go visit them when yeah. when you know the end is near. And he put that. He's built that. He built that charity himself from scratch with a whole team of people. Just yeah. fantastic guy. He kind of, I was joke, co-conspirator, kind of pressure. He's like, come on, Tyler, like Calgary needs this conversation. And I had severe imposter syndrome. Like, who am I to interview venture capitalists? And, you know, I'm just like, just a guy who runs an agency. Like, I was a pilot. I grew up on a farm. Like, who am I? Imposter syndrome is a real thing. We talk about that after. And started doing that podcast. And it really pushed me into a different place. Less, It was still about curiosity, but it was a little bit more pointed. It was definitely driving my passion for, I think Calgary is an amazing city. We're going through a transition right now. And it's, it's an overused word but i think it's very real and it got me into a different seat so that's where collisions came from so collisions is different how much more focus it's less about telling the individual story and more about getting their perspective and having sharing them sharing their insights of what's happening in the calgary ecosystem oh i see okay so it's a perspective about the local ecosystem as opposed to their individual story yes we still tell a little bit of it because like who are you and why are you connected to calgary but it's much more about it's about colliding ideas and having Mm -hmm. them come on board and go hey there's this startup event or hey there's this place to raise money or like hey we're you know uh, i interviewed uh, the president of bow valley college here's what we're doing to help with this and here's how we've pivoted so it's, uh, 
exposing people to new ideas and thinking specifically with the outcome of we bang all this together, we can move Calgary forward. I firm, I firmly believe that. And we, and I talked to a lot of these people and they're in little islands, they're in little pockets. Mm-hmm. So part of collisions is getting them out and getting those, getting, giving those ideas and what's actually happening on the good side of Calgary, the light of day, and then being honest about the things we're not doing well. So that's where collisions is very different than they just get it. Right. And it's, I have to work because I tend to start merging the two together. So I try to keep them church and state. <laughs> right. I got to honor you. That's a really, um, powerful sort of approach that you've taken that I think really helps rise the visibility and um, I think the pride of the local businesses that are here. Thank you. And I think that's something that's um, I've often, you know, thought that being in Alberta myself and growing up in Alberta, um, I'm always proud to be here because I think we have such an entrepreneurial spirit and there's just so much good that comes out of Alberta. And I think one of the things that I've always thought is that we sometimes don't think big enough. Like in, compared yeah. to the people in the States and stuff. And I think that that's changing. I, I really do believe that now just with all the, the call it the crisis or whatever, yeah. the change, the realities that the we've realities gone, through. That we've gone yeah. through, we're starting to think differently and that's allowing us to think outside of what we've known before. Are you finding that at all? Or a hundred percent. I was talking to uh, Daniel Torian from a startup Calgary recently. I think her episodes airing actually tomorrow. So check it out. Um, she talked about three years ago being on road shows and people almost like, what's in Alberta? And even now, nationally, she's like, you go somewhere, they're like, oh, Alberta, yeah, no, I've heard about you guys. I heard about this thing that's happening there. Or I heard about that. And she goes, it's not just, it's not oil and gas stories anymore. There's other stories. That, and I'm not saying any, I'm pro oil and gas and I believe it's a powerful industry, but we need more than one horse in the race. Like, let's get serious. So I think that from talking to people, there's a moment when I ask people about, well, are we getting our story out? And everyone kind of hangs their head a little bit. So I think we're still playing small in the sense that it's maybe small. That's a criticism. Maybe we're playing too humble and we should, we need to get it out there. So I think it's moving. I'm going to, because I'm me, I don't think it's fast enough. I think we need to get it out there, but I think we're on a positive direction and there's an undertone from the people I'm talking to. There's some good things happening here, but it's, it's, it's taken some time. It's not, it's not an overnight turnaround. So you've, because you've been interviewing all these people, both the businesses through Mm -hmm. this podcast and collisions in your humble view, what needs to happen? To really move us forward, because that's, that's a lot. Because you're you're kind of a unique uh, position where you ask, you're able to create a perspective by interviewing all these individuals and doing all this back. Because I mean, most people don't understand. You show up to one of these shows, you do a lot of background research. You do yes, before you get on. And the one hour is the shortest part of the whole process. Totally yeah, right. Absolutely. Like there's a whole bunch of work that goes into it. So you've you've invested a lot of time. I mean, how many shows total? If you put them all together, uh, in the last year, I've recorded about sixty episodes. Holy f. Sorry, I shouldn't swear. No, but, that's okay. This uh, is an adult. This is an adult, adult audience. Show. So it's okay. I don't, so that sorry. represents like there's been a few f bombs. You're not the first a one. A lot okay. of that's a lot of work representing them. A lot of people don't understand it. So you I'm thinking about it now. I'm like, yeah, you're right. That has been a lot going on. It's just it's, well, I'm, I'm never, I'm never I bored. Relate, you know, I do it. You, you know, you know? Yeah, I'm never bored. And and you know, for me, it's like I'm scratching my own my own itch for marketing. Like I'm I want to meet. I would, I'm curious too, but I want to meet somebody that I actually want to have a conversation with. You're meeting people locally, but you've got. I'm talking about my my specific area in marketing. Yes, you're very specific to a regional, multi industry, individual business owners. There's got to be some patterns or some things that you're seeing consistently, or things that you're you're aware of. That going, this is actually something that's kind of happening. What is that? Is there? Can you? It's, shed a, it's, some a, it's a really good question. I've been thinking about it's that. A big idea. I mean, yeah, it is a big one, and you know. I always come to these uh, these episodes with curiosity as my as an underpinning. Again, not to keep circling back on curiosity, 
but it gave me the freedom to not think I had to have any answers. It was, mm-hmm. I just had to have good questions. But now you're giving me the point. That I, when I see it's interesting because I still think there needs to be a coming together. And I'm not sure what that means because is it one industry? Is it, it's still very disjointed. Like I'm talking, it's still little pockets. It's like the ecosystems are building separately from each other. And, you know, mm-hmm. Calgary Academic Development is doing their thing over here. And then you've got Startup Calgary doing their thing. And then you've got Platform. And then you've got Creative Destruction Labs. There's a similarity between them. But it's, it's kind of that critical mass. I don't think we've got there yet because I still think they're sitting on their own little islands, which was really why it was called collisions. Because I'm like, how do I collide these people together? They all kind of know each other, but yet they seem to be doing their own thing. And I don't know if that's rallying around an industry. Like uh, artificial intelligence is something that I know Montreal has really excelled in. But that's one thing. So I'm assuming there's a bunch of disparaging groups around that. But, you know, hey, we're all pushing. It's like almost like a hub and spoke model. Mm-hmm. The hub and spoke model in Calgary had always been oil and gas was at the center of the hub. And then you had all these service industries and spinoff industries around the spokes. I don't see that right now with the conversations I'm having with people. Like I don't like, I, and I get it, it's nodes now we're building different hubs and different spinoffs, but each one on its own, I don't know if it has the impact. Like again, what will create the change down the road? I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball that way, but right now I still feel there's a lot of disconnection where maybe there isn't can there be, how do we decide? And there's a question, not an answer where to put more effort. Like what's the horse? Like I've got 10 horses now kind of running around. I got to only take five to the race day for the race day. Which five do I pick? And that's a tough one because someone gets said no to someone gets said yes to. I don't have that optics or that insight, or I believe I even have the right to say that. But as long as we've got 10 horses running around, we try to jam them all in the, in the truck. I don't even know why I'm using horse analogies. I'm not a horse guy. Well, I've got 10 motorcycles. I can only take five to the track. <laughs> I like the horse race better. I don't know. Um, but we got to get them all in the truck and get them over to the track. And, but, but then they're not going to let us run. And we might even get penalized by putting too many players out on the field. I'm going to mismax all my, my metaphors. I don't know how we make that transition or, or maybe it will happen with time of where do we lean all in? And I don't, and I believe the government plays a part. I believe uh, most municipally and provincially, I believe we need to pull the reins, stop being so scared of let's, well, what if we put money into something that is wrong? What if we don't put money into anything and then nothing happens? We know right. that the outcome of that is terrible. Yeah. So, you know, not make, you know, there's lots of comments and, rhetoric around what CD is doing with the OSIF program and people are like, ah, oh, they should be doing it differently. And I've been looking at other cities like Austin, Nashville, places where they've gone through transitions. And I've seen examples from stories that I've heard of governments that were a little more like, Hey, yeah, we're going to put money on these five and then we're going to see which one goes. And then we're going to go back in on that one and push it up higher. I don't see that happening as much in Calgary. I see it happening in little pockets for, again, from what I'm hearing from my right. guests. Interesting. Well, you're, you're playing a role in terms of starting the conversation, creating a a ecosystem of conversation. So that, Which I, mean, I believe it starts there. Absolutely. It starts there. It starts with the conversation. So yeah, I was just curious. I mean, this, I mean, oh, thank you for the question. I, I, a, I haven't, you put it's me kind of a spot. tough one. It was a good question. Well, I knew great. I wanted to get a couple because uh, I think most people probably think you have an answer for everything and I want to make sure oh, nice, you're a little nice. bit on your heels, a little bit of something. <laughs> I appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. I like a little spar every once in a while. Yeah. yeah. You know, so just when you your... think you got it, you get a punch in the nose. That's how it goes. <laughs> so, so we're going, let's go back a little bit to the, the timeline. You've, you've started clear motive. You were talking a little bit about the evolution of, of Clear Motive. What's the future? Like, what is what does the future hold for Tyler, for Clear Motive? What do you see kind of going forward? It's, it's a really good question and good timing on the question. Because the business, we've been, uh, last year was our 10-year, so we're kind of coming into our 11th year. We've had roller coasters and, you know, I, the back week, we were nine people when we won the Honda account back in 2011. We went to essentially 20 people in three months. Everything broke. HR failed. Finance failed. We didn't make all the best hires at that time because you know when you know when you're not sure what your culture is, you jam a bunch of people together and go, "Oh shit, I don't think this is the culture we want." 
So all those things have culminated into, I'd say in the last year, I've never felt more positive about the business from who we are and what we're about. Looking at it, retooling our values. You asked about our new logo. That was the start of it back in the summer. It wasn't just, hey, let's do a new logo. Let's talk about who we are and the role that we play in the world. Being very clear of the kind of clients that we do the best work with. Okay, who are you? Yeah, no, that's we're, marketing operations is where we focused. Okay. We talked to not only the industry at large, but some of our key clients and really looking at like these companies are high volume. They're in competitive sectors where like sales are a real thing. Like, yeah, it's nice. It, that's pretty creative. It win awards, but did it sell XYZ product? And that's very real for companies. We thrive in those environments. We also saw back to our, your comment about the 31 touch points. Co- companies are buckling under the weight of the responsibility of marketing. There is so many tactics. There's so many buckets. Like I always joke, it's the Snap-on Toolbox. You know how many additions we've put on that Snap-on Toolbox of marketing ideas in the last three to five years? It's insane. And I'm meeting marketing managers that are at their wits end. There's lots of articles out there that, you know, the CMO has the shortest tenure in the C-suite. You know, great Harvard Business Review about that. Because they're put in positions where they're told to execute on tactics that maybe aren't even the right products back to the whole connection of the customer. Our ability to work with companies that really place high, that they see marketing communications as an active lever to the growth of their business. That is the fundamental. So you could be a 50 person company. And if you see marketing communications as an active part of your business, I want to talk to you. If you go, yeah, you know what? We've tried everything else. Let's give marketing a try. That's not our target client. And we've got a couple clients right now, two clients I'm very proud to work with. You know, Honda Canada, we've been agency of record for them for almost seven years, which is something I'm incredibly proud of. It, it put us on the map as an agency and it's an honor to work with them. And it's like, even if you don't know Honda, own Honda products, you know the quality and what they are. So marketing something like that, I'm going to say it's easy because you still have to do the work. But man, it's a great product. And we've recently started working with Hopewell Residential, which is a fantastic builder here in town. Big, active part of it. They create communities and they're part of their community. Seeing the work we're being able to do with both those clients and the success and the relationships and the connection where we become symbiotic with who they are internally, that's where I see more of that. And back to your comment earlier, marketing, I believe, has never had a bigger and more needed seat at the table. And the companies that are realizing that now, and it can mean anything. Like We are full service. What I know is an easy thing to say and a hard thing to deliver. Our success is also through our partners. We're very transparent. If I'm sitting with you and I see a need that isn't somebody I have sitting in my office... I know somebody. I'll call up my friend Scott Martin and bring him in and see who Scott knows because that that side of I think you still need a solid agency partner to be connected to your business, but that gig economy of amazing resources that are circling around out there that 20-year people that are working from their house that can now bring in and add exponential value to that one thing that company needs, my ability to curate that and steer that for an organization and give them the trust that I've got it for them, that's the future. And it's it's never made me more excited than it, than it is right. It, literally in the last year, as we've kind of grown into going, this is who we are and this is who we're not. And it's a great feeling. Marketing has never been more important. In fact, Tony Robbins says that you know innovation and marketing are the two biggest pillars right now that move businesses Good forward. Good old Tony. Yeah, yeah. You've been on a Tony train too. I'm, oh, I've I'm been a bit clear. jealous. I'm a, that's another story. <laughs> and, uh, We're going to have you on one day just to tell your stories oh my, about Tony Robbins for my, sure. Yeah, I had a great interaction with him just in Hawaii. But um, that's another story. Um you know, and and just thinking about marketing, you know, on one hand, it's never been more important, but it's never been more crowded. Because, uh, you know, yeah. if you think about You've been in this business for quite a, quite a long time as a as a business owner. So I, yes. I believe that my and I have a unique po- viewpoint because I've actually worked with you, Absolutely, both yeah. as so yeah. I've been I've, in multiple ways too, right? Which That's is true. we met on the Honda account when I was we helped do a couple commercials with you when I was working with some, with, some, uh, some Joe of Media. Our awesome, some awesome work. Actually. Yeah, we were yeah. so we, you were you were a 
I guess, a supplier partner to me. Yes. And then I actually worked with you on strategy with um, some of your client projects as well. Yep, absolutely. So I get the really yeah, we've, unique... We've, we've had some different... Yeah, we've, we've worked had together for a lot. A lot of, lot of that interactions. Road, remember that road trip we took this to like Saskatchewan? Like oh, we the, drove the whole way. Yeah, yeah. yeah we did early morning to go do a four-hour workshop with S3 on, out in Speedy Creek Swift Current. I do remember that. Yeah, it was like yeah. you and me in a car for 10 hours together one day. <laughs> oh, I think we... And the conversation... If I recall, that conversation was pretty off the we, charts. We yeah, had we, some, we, yeah, that we was had a, some big ideas. I, for, I almost forgot about that. Yeah, we solved a lot of the world's problems. We did. That was super Anyway, sorry, I digress. No, you didn't digress at all. My point was that, you know, having the unique perspective of seeing you in your business, the, I just want to edify you because I'm like, I look at uh, marketing and where marketing is going and, and having an agency, you're only as good as the people you can bring in. And I think one of the things that um, I saw was your ability as a leader and to kind of like, even, I'm sure it's even more so now than ever, just seeing how you've been able to really connect with your uh, employees and they saw them, they, everyone that's ever interacted with you as an employee always speaks so highly that you're so approachable. And you're such a good uh, listener. Awesome. And yeah, I think that's really cool feedback. That's awesome to hear. Well, that. it's really that's important fair. because I think that um, in this age where marketing is more important, everybody's now a marketer. It feels like, yes, that's and true. it kind of annoys me a little bit. I mean, <laughs> because you know, it's like somebody that goes, "Oh, I know marketing," and they maybe know they knew at the time maybe to do an Instagram account or something. But I mean, you know, I've been, I mean, I've been doing it for 25 years. <laughs> yes, you've been yeah, doing you've for, been doing, yeah, for sure. You know, and and uh, you know, it's not just the experience; it's also the ability for a marketing agency or a unit to be able to work together and be able to galvanize to work with the company is really not an easy... I mean, I have my own agency, so I know how hard that is. So it's let's never, talk about... It's never about, a dull day. It's never a dull day. Yeah, so let's talk about maybe that challenge and what... what ha- like Because it's not just like, hey, we've, we've got these values and we work with these customers. There's more to it. There because is. the DNA of helping a business is... It's, there's so many different aspects. We're talking about like a Honda account. It's it's like design, it's creative, it's copy, but make it's like a like you're like a uh, you know running an orchestra, right? Because <laughs> some days, yeah, sometimes it's off tune, but you know, it's or maybe it's not. I mean, what? How how does this happen? Because I think that's what's uniquely you. It's uniquely what what I think your voice is on on these this podcast and in your business. What is it? Because you're the leader of the business. Uh, you and Chad. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Right. I'm not going to take all the credit. No or, credit. Or, or, yeah, for that. No, not at all. So tell us a little bit about that. Like, what is, what do you feel is, is sort of, because that's your, your, you know, this is your baby, right? It is. As much as I, yeah, I, I, sometimes I don't like that. I don't know why, because I'm like, it's not, it's still a business, but it's your heart. It's your blood, sweat, yeah. and tears. And when you're in a service business, I think almost more so than a product oriented environment, it's so much about that because, you know, oh, I sell widgets. We don't sell widgets, we sell the output of people. And like you said, people coming together. Uh, I don't. Yeah. So I, the, the the easy answer is it's about the people. But how do you bring the people together? I think over the years, and hey, you you put an interesting perspective to me, just trying to look at myself through that lens and answer. This you weren't question. prepared for this question. No, 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 no. I was not actually. You didn't. He didn't send me this one in advance. That's why I love it. This is he's getting me back on my heels a couple of times. Your, now. your, recep- your receptionist, I don't know her name. She said to me, "Goes make sure you ask a question. He doesn't know the answer." No, you did those. she? Nice. She did. Yeah. That's why I love Julie. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's a really good question because I have to. I'm putting myself through that filter. All right, so let's let's back it up. Let's let's think about the scale. The only reason I'm able to do this, I, I'm able to be have the honor of saying I'm the leader and one of the owners of this company, is because of the people 
I've built around me that have allowed me to scale that. So you said the orchestra, the orchestrator, the maestro. I'm not the maestro because it's, there's too many, there's too many, there's, there's a group of people playing over in this room. There's a group of people playing over in that room. I might say, Hey, this is how we're going to play. This is what we want to create. This is the feeling that we want people to have. You're after the DJ. Listen to Maybe a little bit, but I'm running around, <laughs> but having amazing leaders around me, I have an right. amazing leader in Toronto, my business partner, basically like, like a brother to me in terms of our relationship. Uh, and some days we love each other. Some days we don't, but we always have each other's back. And I know when I'm not in the room, he's in the room. We're both driving that same. Outcome. And you guys are interchangeable. I've worked with you where you've been in the room. Then he came in the room. You had different perspectives, but the, it, it was, there's a lot of congruency. Which with the client from two complete because we're completely different, different people, people. Uh, yeah. like night and day different. And I've experienced it. I've yeah, experienced <laughs> that's it interesting clients. to hear yeah. from your perspective. Yeah. So that ha- absolutely has allowed us to be successful. I think the multiple perspectives, the old iron sharpens iron. We don't see things the same way, but we have the same beliefs. And I think that's back to the values conversation. Having amazing leaders that you know, I know you know Kara, who sits in the next room, has worked with me for over eight years right now. I know when Kara's on it, I don't have to worry about it. So I don't have to go in that room and go, oh, what's the maestro? What are we playing? Oh, is everyone in the right seat? I don't have to worry about that because I trust that they do that because I've been able to scale myself because only and solely because of the people I've built around me and learning how to be a better leader. I'd say that's the path I've been on for the last couple of years, probably in the last even eight months, working with coaches, dealing with my own sometimes aggressive, sometimes like get it done, not fast enough. Why haven't we done it yet? Like being a little, uh, not a little bit, a lot more inclusive and a little bit more, I would be blind, being a little bit lower of it, less of an asshole. Um, one thing growing up in Montreal and in Quebec definitely taught me was to have an edge. Mm-hmm. And I moved here, I'm like, oh, that's closing more doors than it's opening. Maybe you should dial it back. And since I've started to do that, and some of this is even in the last six, eight months, I've kind of had a new level of revelation. I've seen the leaders, my, the leaders around me, the people that I rely on to make sure the tune comes out right and the client goes, oh, that was an amazing tune. I loved hearing it. Can I, can I hear another? It has improved because I think I've got it. I've there's a little bit less fear around, you know, my intensity, which can be a real thing. And I'm sure you've experienced it where I'm like, I, I get super hyper-focused on things. That stepping back, being a little bit more, uh, less of a, you know, I don't want to use the word tyrant, but I can be intense and go. Okay, I would call it focused. I mean, yes. when I've experienced it, it wasn't, I don't want to make, yeah. it wasn't intense and wasn't negative. It was, you were focused. I appreciate and, that. But that's part of it. Sometimes when you have a lot of things going on, you need to be that for the business. I don't have 10 minutes to talk about this. I have one minute to talk about it, but giving people the grace that maybe they're not at that same speed that day, or maybe they need some more time to process. That is absolutely, we're, we're growing right now. I'm feeling a a bit of a, I want to use the word groundswell. I'm sorry. It just came up my mind. Yeah. Bit of a groundswell around as our culture shifts and as our leaders become more balanced with each other, as I become better with them, I see the relationship with their teams improve. I'm seeing the quality of work go up. I'm seeing us being able to close business faster because clients go, Oh yeah, this, yes, you're exactly what I want. I want Mm -hmm. this. And being able to see the fit sooner across the board, like seeing a level of consistency in a thread that, which is always you want as an organization where you can take that thread from, this is the owner talking about the, the mission, vision values or core purpose or whatever, whatever framework you want to use. And then you pull it down to, I'm not going to say the lowest level, but the people that are actually doing the work, they're actually at the highest level because they're the ones doing the work day to day. And they're making decisions based on those same values that we've all agreed upon. And we're acting that way. That's what's allowed me to do this. And it's made me so much more excited about coming to work because I don't feel like this burden's on my shoulders. I feel like I have this whole team that's carrying it with me. And all of a sudden we're starting to grow. It's fun, funny how that works. Right. <laughs> so I would say that's a long winded answer. And thank you. Cause I didn't have a like, yeah, here's the soundbite that I've been thinking about for weeks. I'm seeing it happen now in real time and I'm analyzing it. And I'm just like, shit, all that stuff I've read around purpose and values and everything. 
when you get it right, it actually friggin' works. And I feel silly saying that because okay. I've been reading these articles for 12 or 15 years. And the other day I was in a meeting and it, like 50% of the things came up. I was like, okay, if we actually just live this one value of being accountable to each other, all those problems go away. And they're all like, yeah, you're right. Okay. And then next week I noticed the culture is different. It's been a really cool experience. And I'm speaking of it in awe because I'm watching it happen around me right now and just sitting back a little bit and letting it, letting it materialize and giving it the leadership where it needs, but not trying to manhandle it. <laughs> So let's get personal. You've, you've, now we talked to you professionally. Sure. So I think you said the word purpose there. Finish this sentence. The purpose of my life is? To create connections. It's the first answer that comes to mind. Right. And so if we were going to talk about yourself personally, like a little bit more about your personal life, like one thing that I really like about when I'm following you on Instagram is that it's all about the dash. <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about the dash and – and let's just kind of get personal. Like, let's just, because people want to know who you are. So I know, right. like, we've talked about professionally, we've talked about your timeline, but, like, tell us a little bit about who you are, about the Dash, and some of your hab- daily habits that you feel that maybe, you know, are a little quirky, or but they, they do make who you are. Oh, interesting. Oh, wow, you're yeah. going down all kinds of twists and turns. Well, because I, yeah, I, no, I feel like at the end of the day, I mean, isn't yeah, this, no, about, this is about connecting to you? 100%. Thank you. Yeah. No, I appreciate the questions. It's so much easier when you're the one asking the question. I'm like, totally. oh yeah. shit, yeah, no, I'm definitely. I want to keep you on your. This you're not on your toes. I yeah. want you on your heels a yeah, little no, bit. No, no, you, I leaned forward, but you pushed push me right back yeah. again. Um, it's all it's all about the dash. Yeah, actually, my, a good friend of mine who actually helps me with the podcast, uh, Graham Sharkey, who is uh, is, is someone I'm going to have on the podcast in your future about the story that he that some of his own stories. He started with all about the. It's all about the dash on his Instagram, and I was like, "Dude, what is this dash?" And he's like, "Hey, I read this article about a guy's. You know, we're born on our gravestone. You know, we're start and there's the end." But the dash is what really matters. It's what you fill you up your life with. And so I started adopting it. And it's so funny. I'll see people and they're like, hey, all about the dash. And they, they pick up on it. It's really interesting how it's like landed on social media that way for me personally. And you know, my social media is a good example. Like I, I just share things that I think were interesting or cool or experiences. So I said, can write connections. But one of the things that really drives me, part of is as I chase, I'm an experience chaser. Anything that's experiential, anything that's going to push me to be in the moment and doing that in, while connecting with people. So it is kind of twofold. And I think from a, what's, what's quirky on a daily routine? Like I weigh what my, would your I, wife, what would your wife? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. No, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, uh, I still, uh, I still weigh my food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, who just went back in and see, look in your face. It's like, you do what? <laughs> So every day you, you like like when you're cooking you like oh yeah. let's just check it out yeah I do yeah totally. what a great uh, discipline 100 percent yeah I clearly don't yeah <laughs> <laughs> the look in your face is spicy you're like what did he just say he does what you can't see I'm just totally like oh my yeah, gosh, yeah that's no, amazing yeah, yeah that's perfect yeah, you yeah. answered like something I thought I would never would have thought that yeah yeah wait yeah. wait wait, well, wait but now wait. that makes sense. Yeah, given it, your background, right? absolutely. For when I was going through that whole phase of yeah. nutrition journaling and what works, and if I add three more grams of protein and that hyper analytical side of it, and I still do it, like it's so a that, little bit but more. But that clearly is it's like so that habit is reflected in the, how you look. You look great. So what are the other Thank habits you, in life in business that yeah. made you successful? Because I think a lot of people look at you as an example of great leadership. You've run a successful business. You're making these great connections. You're doing a lot of things. But the foundation, we're going back to our marketing, yeah. the foundation is these daily habits. What are some of these daily habits that you could share that, you know, maybe they're not super like crazy, but they're just good habits? Yeah, absolutely. I think well, I mean, the root of all these good habits is something for years. I'm very disciplined. So I always joke, I'm not that good at anything, but I'm really disciplined enough, so I'll just keep doing it until it works out. Like, I'm not the guy that learns a new sport and then, oh, I'm scoring the goals and leading the team the next day. That's not who I am. I will have to work at it and really drive hard. So discipline is something, like, I don't have that, like, my wife learns, oh, we're going wakeboarding. Fiona, have you ever wakeboarded before? No. 
oh, two runs later, she's jumping the wake. Everyone's like, you sure your wife is? I'm like, that's my wife, right? That's, that's, she's just freaking just good as shit. It's really annoying. Um, but I, and I love it at the same time. We're always mm-hmm. competing and she's always super good at stuff where I'm like, man, I got to go out and I'm going to like build a schedule and I'm like, I'm going to go and practice wakeboarding every day for an hour and I'm going to do sit-ups because that'll help me. And that's how I get good at stuff is I'll yeah. plan it out and unpack it a little bit. And I think so many things in my life, um, Focusing on the make or breaks, something I learned years ago, like all the alligators that are in your office or in your life as a busy person are there snipping away. But as you get to the day, did you do that one thing that was going to move you forward towards your goals, knowing what that goal is and knowing what those one things are? Mm -hmm. I think that's something that I work at. When I do it, it works really well. And then I fall away from it and I go back to it, back to the discipline. So really taking the time to know what my make or breaks are. Like my make or break for today is like, okay, I got to get Scott the framework for this and I got to give him some information so he understands the backstory. That's a make or break. Today will not go by until I do that. Oh, I'm super busy. It's 10 o'clock. It doesn't matter. I'm getting into Scott because that's a make or break to set him up for success. So we have a good podcast. That was a make or break that day. It was in passing, but I was so busy. And I think I sent it to you even late at night or something, but I was like, it doesn't matter. That is happening today because I've already agreed. I'm not going to talk myself out of it. I'm not going to create some story around why I was too busy. If it was the make or break this morning, it's still the make or break at 10 o'clock at night and it's getting done. That I think really permeates a lot. Not really, it permeates a lot in my life of like, I'm super busy. It doesn't matter. My make or break today is I'm going to the gym because for my fitness, that's a make or break. Mm-hmm. Five o'clock, I'm meeting my, my workout partner who I've been, I've been working out with the same lady for 18 years. Mm-hmm. So that's part of also creating a connection that ties to what's important to me. So then it builds it. So I have this amazing relationship where we have a great workouts. We talk about life, philosophy. She's one of my best friends. I got to give a plug to Jan. I can't have this conversation without, if you ever met my friend, Jan and I wonder, mm. great lady. I should introduce you guys. Top, top, two top notch people I know should know each other. Sorry. Connections. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> creating a connection around something that's incredibly important to me so that also I kind of backfill my own discipline. Like now, not only will I not miss a workout, I will not miss seeing my friend Jan. Right. So those are things I think I, if I look at the, the little intentional landmines that I planned all through my life of like, well, it's not a negotiable. Like I have a five o'clock appointment with Jan. Like I'm not, I stand Jan up. I'm going to get, she's going to bust my balls. That's how it's going to go. But hey, if I miss my fitness, then by Thursday, I feel like crap because I haven't taken care of myself this week. It's a make or break. Got to do it. Because I got to be a high performer for the podcast on Thursday because I got an hour to be with this person and be present. What do I need to do to get there? Get a good night's sleep. Measure my breakfast to make sure I have the right amount of food. <laughs> Those are the kind of things I think now that you've asked me this question, I've really thought about it, has really led to a lot of, you know, quote unquote, like my version of success in my life is a lot of that stuff. That's my formula. Clear. Uh, clear clearly understood that that connection is a driving force. Now, one of your biggest connections is your relationship. Tell us about how you guys met. Oh, with my wife. Yeah. Oh, don't tell anybody, but I was her trainer. Oh, really? (laughs) I was fishing off the company pier. I was her mom's trainer, actually. (laughs) 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 I was there twice. I got you. You're like, what are you saying? No, um, I met when I was down at Gold's Gym uh, back in 2002, 2001, 2002, 2001. I met um, Trevor and Cindy. They came into the gym, and Trevor, uh, her dad, was like, well, you know, I want to get. Cindy wants to do some personal training and, and our daughter also is very athletic. She would like to do some fitness as well. I'm like, Oh, that sounds great. That sounds awesome. So I started personal training with Cindy. Great relationship, great lady. They're just awesome. Super nice, very kind people. They've treated me like amazing since day one. And then I met Fiona. This cute little tomboy doing her thing um, with her two little ponytails, with her hoodie on, taking geology at university. You should see the look on Tyler's face right now. It's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm just remembering back. It's so yeah. amazing. We've been married. We've been together 18 years now. Oh my so it's, yeah, it's li- lifetimes on lifetimes. And yeah. you just got married. You just got married recently. So it's, uh, it's, 
yeah. less than a week or a week less ago. Less than a week. Oh, congratulations! Yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's yeah. It's, choose well because it is it is the best decision. Oh, I chose yeah, well. Yeah, I know you did. Yeah. Yes, I, I can see the smile on your face. Um, we trained her for quite a while, I and mean, she was she's about six years younger than I am. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, I was kind of was thirty at the time, twenty seven, twenty eight, she's early twenties. I'm like, oh, it's cute because she's super friendly, and so. We had a personal training session, and at the end, we just ended up chatting for some reason. Like, we had the 20-minute, like, chat and talking about skiing and adventure. I'm like, oh, this chick's pretty cool. Like, she's, like, hardcore skier and likes to do, like, mountains and all that kind of stuff. I said, oh, this is pretty interesting. And so something, I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, hmm, okay, don't think anything of it. Have a falling out with the gym owner. And uh, he, might say, would, he might say, he might say, no, no, it wasn't because of that, actually. It was another, no, I won't get into it. <laughs> He would probably say that I got fired. I would probably say that I quit. But let's you know, let's okay. just let's just leave it out there. That's another story. Yeah, I probably got fired. Actually, I think that's probably honest. Anyways, I was supposed to have a personal training session with my wife that day, so I called and left a message. Back when you called and left messages, you know, texting and all that, and said, "Hey, don't like before you come to the gym, call me." She didn't get the message. Shows up at the gym. You know, where's Tyler? Oh, did he not call you? He's not working here anymore. And she's like, "What the hell? I have a training session. Like, I don't miss sessions. I don't show up late. That's not my mo." And so she called me back. And just right at the end of the call, I was like, hey, like, maybe we should, like, hang out or, or, or something. And she's like, yeah, okay. How about, you want to go rollerblading? I'm like, okay. So, like, Wednesday night, went to her place. We went rollerblading, went to play basketball. She kicked my ass at basketball, if that's how I remember. We sat on her front porch and ate an apple together. And we've been hanging out ever since. Do you still rollerblade? <laughs> I, do, I do not. I still own the rollerblades. Do people rollerblade? I don't know. I don't know. I felt like that was a tr- No, I... It's still fun, but I don't do it. And right. I see people do it. I'm like, hmm, I don't know how I feel about that. But it is a great workout. It's tons of fun. Amazing. But yeah, it's yeah. You don't want to tell you people. You guys go on tons of adventures. We do. We do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. She is. I joke in life, and you need to surround yourself with worthy adversaries. And people think that I say that as a negative thing, and it's absolutely not. The kind of person I am, and the personality. I want someone who's not just going to agree with me. I want someone to push back. Mm-hmm. I want someone to kind of stand their own ground. And my wife is absolutely one of my. My, my she is a worthy adversary. And every day, like we compete on stuff. We play cards. We go play, compete in sports. Like there's always this little undertone that actually keeps us so playful and close. It's fantastic. Mm. I think the word um, competition in Latin was we conspire to make each other better. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I think that the, when so when people think of competition, they think of it as being a negative thing. I've never and, heard that. And, I love and, that. And that's actually because they they train iron iron is iron. So we're yeah. going to compete so we can make it so we can become each, better. Oh my god, that is such a great frame of that that word. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna use that a couple times today in a sentence for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's I, super interesting. Is that oh, true? Nice. It's, it's cool. You know, it's like because I like when you said we're the adversary. I mean, I think that when people when people have a challenge and it's um um and they they reframe it as being, you know, as a competitor, something that comes up and going instead of it being oh it's oh crap, it's more like. Oh, we're the adversary. It's time for me to step up. That's exactly how I look at it. Yeah. Right. Oh, okay. I'm not, I'm not going to coast through this. I got to get my game on. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Which is also why I've kind of put myself in a lot of those situations like motorcycling and in those moments where also I love anything that's speed or that has a level of intensity speed. to it. Be like, oh, you're an adrenaline junkie. And it's not that for me at all. It's, I create environments that force me to be in the moment, force me to be absolutely present. I have a busy mind, like mm. a lot of us do, monkey mind, and I'm thinking about a lot of things. When you're doing 260 on the back straight at, at Misano, and you're taking a slight right-hander that at, at 30 doesn't feel like a corner, but at 260 feels like you can go flying and die, yeah. I am not thinking about what else I have to do that day. I'm not thinking about how hot it is. I'm not thinking about who's standing in the stands. I'm thinking about everything in the moment. And to me, mm. that's a little bit of a drug that I chase. And it's not the adrenaline that goes with it. It's the 
it's 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 not even the fl- the flow state, and I love that concept of flow as a surfer and being involved. Mm-hmm. The like you chase that, but when you add speed, you remove the option of paying attention because the consequences are severe. And I chase that all the friggin' time. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people think flow state and surfing as being like you're on a wave and you're flowing in this flow state. Uh, uh-uh. uh. When you're paddling out in this sets. <laughs> Dumping on your head. Yes, yeah, you're present. Yes, a hundred percent. Because guess what? Death is a viable option right now. Yeah, <laughs> it feels yeah. like it is. Yes, totally. I've recently right. got into surfing the last couple of years. I know that's been a passion of yours for you know a lifetime. And man, like I chase it, and like oh, you're going back out again. Like my elbows are hurting, my my shoulders are sore. I'm like, yeah, I got to go out because next time I'll get it. Next time it'll be better. Like I even just, just getting outside it. and getting through the waves. Just getting is out so past much work, the break. Right? Oh my god. Yeah. You know, and as you're and getting it's pummeled, it's a challenge. Right? You're a hundred percent. That's a good example because that's not speed in that moment, but there's a level of intensity that demands the utmost attention. Present, yeah, yes. Like, and it's like, oh, you're I totally wonder what's present. happening back at the. Like, no, you're not thinking that. Mm. So, what is that? I mean, I think a lot. I mean, I think some people, everybody can relate to this to a certain degree. But I mean, by making yourself do something that creates this presence, yes. doing these experiences, what does that do for you in terms of? What state? Where? Like where? Like like? What? You have a feeling. You're you're kind of going after a feeling, right? Yeah. You're chasing a feeling a yeah. little bit. What is that? Like what is that? For me, it's the absolutely deepest, most pure connection with myself. Connection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. It's that connection internally of like, where am I at? Could I do better? Where's my fear? Am I managing it? Where's like, wow, I'm out of my element. Should I even be here? Of course I can. This is what it means. That dialogue slows down and becomes hyper-focused and it becomes, it, it allows me to connect with myself at a deeper level. That's interesting. I never, that's a good question. I haven't thought this through in a conscious way that you're like, you're asking well, me What's the marketer me too, right? I know, like, I love it. Let's get to the root. <laughs> Keep peeling back the onion. Yeah, well, and I'm also trying, you know, it's like, you know, basically, you know, asking what the purpose of your life and stuff. It's like, I think what people want to understand is they just go, they know you visually, they can hear your voice, but they want to know a little bit more about who you are and where your your heart's that. at, where your, your vision of what your life is and And so that might be something where we can kind of go next is a little bit of like, what's your vision of, like, we talked a little about the vision of the future. What's the vision of like your future? Like what, what do you sort of see as being the evolution? Like, what are you, what are you working on today to strive for tomorrow? I know you're a goal guy. So you're always working on something. So what is the next? It's interesting you say that. I've I've been having a weird relationship with goal setting lately. Really? Um, It, this actually feels like it's like it feels like it's a weakness now. Like I don't set goals the way I used to. Mm-hmm. I don't like oh, I want to get this and I want to get this thing at this date and like the stuff and things goals has kind of fallen away. I have what I want. My life is yeah. awesome. If I want something, I go get it. But I don't care. I'm not defined by stuff and things. Which when I was younger, I thought that was oh, if you have like five cars, you're defined now as a person. I'm like that's ridiculous. I don't care about that. It just means five things I have to deal with. How about right. I rent the car, have the experience, and give it back when I'm done? That's much better for me. So that's less, less moving parts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, completely. Yeah, if it, yeah, there's anyways, it was a joke around if it flies floats or whatever you should just rent it then own yeah. it. but we'll, we'll get too crass on this podcast um it's more of an ampli- my goal is more about amplification uh, amplification right now it's i want to grow the business so i can feel what it's like to have those bigger experiences of a larger business and more impact i want to have a larger business because it means we can do bigger work and have better impact on our clients and their customers I want to have more free time so I can go have more adventures. So is that more motorcycle racing? Yes. Is it more surfing? Yes. It's going deeper into that like, okay, I feel like I've had a window of self. Like I've had, so if I've had 10 conversations meaningfully with myself in those moments of intensity, how can I double that and triple that? And it's a very, it feels more esoteric goal to me than it does going, I want to do three trips a year and I want to own a house in Maui. I, I don't have goals like that right now. I'm like, oh, that might happen. 
But why would I own a house? I can just Airbnb it for a week, get it, and go surf there. That's I, right. I look for those things more. So it's the experience. And I know we live in an experiential society. But if I'm going to start keeping score of something, what have I done to create more of those intimate connections with myself? And doesn't necessarily mean doing a whole bunch of new different things. It's going a little bit deeper. So example, there's a potentially a motorcycle, a racetrack opening in Calgary. So I'm on my deposits down, going to get a membership, going to buy a race bike. And literally for the next two years, I'm going to go at it. I'm going to go to that racetrack like all the time and I'm going to go deeper and get better just for the experience. Do I want to race motorcycles at the end? Hell no. Am I going to be a sponsored racer? No. I want to chase that deeper level of mastery, which I know to get there, I have to put myself in the environment and go deeper into the conversation with Tyler Immersion. and what's holding me back and where's my fears and why am I not taking this corner this way? And I'm just using motorcycling to chase that, but it's right. the underpinning of it. And maybe in three years, I'll go, you know what? I'm going to take a month. I'm going to move to Costa Rica. I'm going to move to Nosara and I'm going to surf. I'm going to get an instructor once a week and I'm going to surf for a month and go deep down that path. Mm -hmm. So my goals are much more oriented on how deep I can go into some of those sports or activities that I know give me that that connection with myself. It's this is great because I have not articulated this. And even now I'm like, yeah, why do I sit there to do goals with my wife and feel awkward? Like, oh shit, I just don't have goals anymore. I wasn't able to articulate what the goal is and still find about into new things, things. It's mastering and connecting at yes, a deeper it is. level. 100%. To it. Yeah. And I hadn't really right. worked through that until just now. So thanks for asking the questions. This is awesome. Well, it, it kind of it kind of goes full circle to the your podcast because you're you're at sixty and you know, the future of, of your podcast. Like what what can we expect next? Because like you're You've mastered this connection. So you got you got no, more I, in I, you. You're I, not done yet. Mastery is bold. Absolutely not. Right. So, um, so but you're moving towards mastery. Absolutely. I'm what I mean. listening to other podcasts. As I'm yeah. figuring out how to go deeper into it. I'm like, is there a way? I'm, I'm like, is there a way to monetize it that doesn't take away the value of why I'm doing it? To then go, well, if I'm bringing businesses on, could I use this podcast to actually promote their businesses more in a very credible, integral way that doesn't become just another ad platform and disrupt the audience's experience? So I'm starting to mm-hmm. think about ways to go. Because you're right, I can't just keep doing the same thing. I'll lose. I'll lose. I can't just keep. Going going around the track at 30 kilometers an hour. Eventually it's not fun. Would you anymore. consider doing a solo, like a, like a, a, a episodes talking about a specific topic and, or are you just, you really, really want to make the connection? Like, I want to make the connection. I, I'm, I'm not into the talking head. Uh, like yeah. right now I just, right away I can, I almost shirk back from that. I'm like the, here's me prophesizing about the world. It's just not where I'm at right now. I just don't think that's the, that's not the version of myself. I want to, you know, I have a theory on just about everything from time to time. You have a lot to offer. That's why I'm asking. I mean, and, I think I appreciate that. I, but I think letting that come out through good dialogues with people right. like yourself. And, or you could have me on and I would just keep interviewing you. You just keep hammering topic. me with questions. Absolutely. <laughs> well, no, on this specific topic. Yeah. But, and I think, you know, I think, and I, and every, I think you like conversation. I love conversation. I love right. it. Connecting with people. Okay. Having more, and, and for every guest that I've have on, uh, has been a 10 out of 10, getting some more worthy adversaries on the show where we can start getting some debate. Right now, I'm much oh, more focused cool. on like, no, no, let's, let's talk it through. Let's like, let's, let's tell your story. Let's bring it out. I'll add little snippets here and there, but it's your story. Mm-hmm. Getting into a conversation where we pick a subject matter and then go, all right, let's talk about it. Even our talking about marketing. We're like, yeah, I agree with you there, but hey, I don't know about that. I think that I think about it this way. That would be an interesting evolution that's a brave, for me. That's a brave maneuver to go in that direction, I think. You know, but for if me, you, if you choose the right partners, though, it, it makes it it changes the dialogue. It changes the dialogue a lot. You can't be I reckless think, with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess the fear I would have if it was me that was going to uh, pick someone that has an opposing view is that I wouldn't have prepared my response in a way that made me look favorable. <laughs> Fair enough. You know what I mean? That's like, the art of good debate, right? Yeah, which well, I wouldn't say I'm an expert at. It's uh, like I'm really confident in my topic, and so yeah. I guess I think that that's actually a really interesting idea. But I mean, that would be a very that would be an interesting new direction. 
than just like kind of going down the friendly path of sort of telling the story absolutely. is really a bit more going juicy. deeper yeah. on a topic because you have to to be able to define, differentiate, and defend a point of view. Yes. From a place of respect and honor. Because right. this left or right, black or white world, like if, you know, if you're, if you're, if you believe in oil and gas, that means you're against the environment. If you believe in the env- your environment, you're against. Oil. I'm like, what a ridiculous concept. Why, why are you giving me? You know what? I'm sorry. I refrain. I need more options because right. I'm believing both. And this world we live in, it's a weird thing to pick, but we live in Alberta, and I think it's very timely right now. Uh, if you think about us not necessarily agreeing, but still walking out, actually, but back to competition, like. We get into a match of whatever. I do martial arts. I do Krav Maga, so lots of hand-to-hand combat and fighting. And it's very physical and very violent. And I have a couple training partners that we have a dialogue. Like, oh, I punched you in the mouth tonight. Sorry. I know. You didn't mean to do it. There's never, there's never anger, but there's aggression. And they're worthy adversaries. Like my, my partner, David makes me better mm-hmm. because he pushes me and he'll push a little bit farther. And like, sometimes I'll get an elbow in the face or I'll get a kick in, in the crotch. And that's the way Krav is. But I never go, oh, you did that on purpose. You're an asshole. Why can't we have debates the same way? Like, hey, you might catch me on the chin with that one, but that's okay. Let me come back. Mm-hmm. And we both walk away going, high five, see you next Wednesday. That's, I think, I think there's room for that in our society right now because this whole, like, if you agree with me, now I want to violently fight you and hate you. Like, that's insane. We're not going to get, no, that doesn't move you ahead. That stalls everything and we leave entrenched versus informed. And sorry, I'm ranting a bit now, but no, I think it's you know what I said I didn't want to get a, a, be philosophizing. Because it talks now a lot about your, now we're talking about your like your philosophy, your thinking, right? And you know, if you look at the we'll call it the consciousness, the the yeah. collective consciousness is, I think that we're breaking through maybe an era in time where more creative thinking could and should be applied, and that's part yeah. of the reason this tension exists. And right now, you're right; it is very much. It's either one side or the other, whether it's the United States politics, 100%. environmental, oil and gas and stuff. And, and uh, right now, that's I think that the more pressure we're seeing and the more friction that this is creating, at some point, there's going to be a breakthrough moment, in my own opinion. And I think part of it is because I think consciousness is changing to the point where we're going, there's got to be a better way. And right now, it doesn't feel like it's apparent. That's just a belief I have. Right, because, and I'm curious what you think. No, like, yeah, I think you're right. I read a book recently. It was a book from 2007, 2008 called A Whole New Mind by Daniel Pink. Okay. Interesting book. And he basically said that the future, keep in mind, this was 2007, 2008. He was right. the future of the last 50, well, so let's take the last 50 years. The majority of the wealth globally has been built with a very left brain analytical structured approach. That's like, that's where wealth has been consulting, legal, accounting, engineering, because the future is the conceptual right brain side of being able to take abstract ideas and human connection and bring them together. Because he goes, you can now outsource most of those left brain tasks to India for pennies on a dollar. So he said, if you don't redefine the what success looks like and the people you're bringing to the table to define large conceptual challenges that involve the human experience you're not going to be successful because your competitor is going to undercut you because they're going to outsource to China or outsource to India was his position. I'm like, wow, seems pretty interesting. But I'm like, you wrote that 10 years ago and the rise of AI and the mm-hmm. rise of machine learning and the ability for computers to do the data. I don't need to pay a lawyer to sift through case law. I can just get, a, I can get Watson to do it from IBM, things like that. So I think it's very interesting you say that because if you take the left brain binary, right, wrong, good, bad, it's very binary and linear. Where as soon as you have a concept, you're like, well, yeah, but if I look at it from this way, it's this. And if I look at it from that way, it's very hard to be idealistic in black and white with conceptual thinking. But our problems are so big, they're not going to be solved with linear decision making. 
if if you want to, that's my view of it. So I'm agreeing with you with just my own kind Different, of light yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, if you look at like medicine, for example, the rise of, of natural and Eastern medicine in, yes. in Western, like that's a shift of consciousness of accepting different points of view. And now it's, it's becoming harmonized a little bit, right? It's that, more accepting than it that's was. That's an interesting movie because 10 years ago, it was way out in the, le- in the side of like, you know, Oh, what voodoo magic. Yeah. Now people are like, well, Hey, if I'm going to be self-empowered back to the decision-making to buying a car, if I'm going to be self-empowered about my health, maybe there's other perspectives I can look at and maybe I can open my mind. And I believe that, you know, Healing can come from so many different places mm-hmm. if you be- if you're believing in it. That's what I love about the the Eastern philosophies around. Oh medicine. yeah, and like mindfulness and energy and all this kind of stuff it, that's Good. starting to become more apparent and more accepted, more mainstream, more, more mainstream. I mean, if you would have said uh, you know ten years ago that we'll have a meditation room in your business, people would be like, "That's just alien." But now it's actually. <laughs> Um, totally in progressive companies, and it was your mom's, your mom's one hippie friend who, who said that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you know, you know, Sally. She's been like, you know, she. But now science child. is backing up that. Yes, that it is. Creating a, a space of of allowing somebody to have some some space where they can actually reconnect themselves actually creates more productivity, and that's where businesses are really back rethinking. To, back to the dollars and cents, and yeah. but maybe we're not going to get to those dollars and cents in the same linear way of cutting costs and packing more people in per square inch kind of mindset. Totally. Uh, so it's, so this is where I can see the podcast going from a dialogue that's actually not necessarily confrontational, but a, a competitive dialogue is an interesting concept. I'm going to really play around with, you've left me a few cool takeaways today, but the, okay. the takeaway of what competition actually means at its root versus not me winning and you losing, but us, East ma- us making each other better. That is a, amazing. I love that reframe. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Yeah. It's a re- sorry, it's a reframe for me. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I mean, isn't that really what these conversations and podcast uh, purpose really are is about reframing thinking sometimes like through storytelling. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why I like um, long form versus short form. It's hard to reframe your thinking with retail news, like pop, 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 done. I'm like, I heard Rogan kind of ranting about the other day that, you know, the master of the three to four hour podcast. And he's like, I don't believe you can actually understand someone's viewpoint, philosophy, and their belief structure in a two-minute soundbite. Totally. And I'm like, yeah, when you say it, you're like, obviously. But yeah, that's how we're making decisions and having our opinions influenced by like essentially rapid-fire information. This format, you know, and again, if you love the episode, listen. If you don't, you can go listen to it. Like, there's so much content out there. But the long form, people are like, oh, you're going to make your podcast shorter. I'm like, if it works, but otherwise it'll go the length it goes and the conversation will, will take what it takes. I think a lot of things are shifting and audio is, is on the rise. I guess I agree. Big time. And because, I mean, I think I don't think people are looking for more screen time. Yes. My, looking, my phone telling me you had this much screen time today is not implying I should do more. Right. That's not the message I walk away from when I get that little notification on Sunday morning of like, you did this much screen time this week. But people are looking at being more productive. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, audio allows people to it does. Um, multitask and gain knowledge at the same time while they're listening to audio. But also the rise, I think, with, with sound marketing and so forth, where, it's, where you have Alexa and, and voice-activated mm-hmm. content. It's voice becoming activated. so much more just the way we... Yeah, it's more frictionless, you know, just with audio, and that's why I think the power of of podcasting is is I think uh, some people think it's already like it's already seen its bubble. I don't think it's over it by any I don't, stretch. I, I'm always amazed by how long it's been around and how many people are still discovering it. Like I met someone I yesterday, like you know what, I need to get into podcasts. I'm like, yes, you do. <laughs> like absolutely. Like should I listen to yours? I'm like, listen to anything. Go I've heard get, many listen. times people go, where do I find it? I'm like, do you have I do you have like an iPhone? Let me show you. I know. Isn't and it they crazy? have that on their they have that on their screen. And they've yet they've never actually downloaded a podcast. It's you, we are right. far from the we, like we are still at the beginning. 
It's just the first sort of like, you know, what's it called? Uh, a crossing the chasm. It's yes. like we're early adopters The over. demise of most platforms yeah. is usually understated at one point. You know, like yeah. newspaper, uh, radio didn't kill newspaper, TV didn't kill radio, the internet didn't kill all of the other ones, but it certainly changed them and and enriched and, and, and enriched the buffet. But they're always like, oh, that's going to be dead. It's over. It's like, I don't know. No, no, I don't. If it adds value to humans, it'll, it won't be over. Totally. And I think now it's like people are thinking about, you know, are you, someone will go up and go, are you, are you an internet marketing firm or, or whatever, and I think that the days of being so specialized um, are changing because I think you need to be more of an ecosystem. A hundred percent. That fat yeah. kind of we we were on the edge of like, do we become a digital agency? I'm like, if I'm truly going to look at a client's problem holistically. But yet, at the end of the day, I like to sell websites, and I open my code and go, I listen to your problems, but do you want website here? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, not, it not. was incredible. It was yeah. bullshit. I wasn't like, if you go back to it, we're marketers, but we're still consultants first. And if I'm really, back to the fitness thing, like, oh, I love to give everybody a treadmill program. So I'm going to listen to you and hear that you have bad knees and that you can't run. And then guess what? I give you a treadmill program. That's not the world we live in. If you're going to really drive quality, you got to listen. And being holistic to me, absolutely. It's not digital marketing more. It's just called marketing. <laughs> I like to joke about that. Nice. So where should we go from here? Um, well, I think we're, you know what? I'm, I'm being respectful of the audience that, you know, I think they've been, they've been, they've been listening to the, the us prophesize or yeah. <laughs> maybe trying not to for the last 90 minutes. Um, so it's been 90 minutes. So it has, just, yeah, it's not that so, there's a timeline, but it has been yeah. 91 minutes as I look nice. over at the counter. Um, so let's wrap up with a final thought. What's your sort of final thought in terms of the takeaway that somebody's listening to this and going, you know, going like knowing about your background and wrapping it all up, just going, what would be your sort of final thought that you'd want to leave people with in terms of showing up to this podcast? Like what's the feeling? What's the, I, th- I think I know the answer, but I'm like, what do you, what I don't is know. It I'm like, hoping? I'm not, you put me on the spot again. <laughs> yeah, so, so just like, I mean, seriously, like, what do you, what do you, I, do you want me to do you want me to tell you what I think it is? Sure, I, yeah, I think it's connection. I think it was yeah, that well, you're beaming, day. like you're, you're you're beaming even to your right I was, now. So, I was yeah. putting it on a tee for you as well. As you, you are, you are for sure. <laughs> I, I'll pick it up because what I, I what I wanted to say is, is two things, and obviously connection is, is one of them. This is my this is my reach out. Yeah. I also want to express an incredible amount of gratitude, like this podcast experience and getting involved with my audience this way and receiving the feedback. It's it's it's. I had no idea that it was going to be like it is mm-hmm. and how grateful even when someone say, oh, I listen to your podcast. Every time I have this feeling of like, Oh wow. Thank you. Cool. Like I'm still kind of blown away that people listen. You know, the other month I had like 500 listens and I was like 500 people listen to my podcast. I'm like, that's nothing, but yet it's 500 people. That's, you know, and I'm, I haven't been promoting do you it. Look at your metrics. Are they, do you know where they are in the world? Uh, no, I don't. I haven't looked at a globe. I just looked at my own trends of where they are from a okay. growing, growing yeah. percentage. Oh, from uh, geographic? No, I didn't because I pulled it through three different platforms. So I didn't get oh, okay. yeah. podcast stats. We, maybe we need to talk about that. It is a frustrating world of getting like actual Spotify does it this way. I can help. <laughs> yes, thank you. Okay, we'll chat after park that. <laughs> but uh, no, a gratitude and also a very much like I am absolutely open to connecting with people. So if people listen to this and they're like, oh, wow, cool, like it, or seems like an interesting guy or whatever, please do not be shy. Like reach out. Go on. I'm on. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. Find me. Reach out. Connect. I, as you've gathered today, I love. I love connections, and I'm incredibly grateful for people taking the time and energy out of their life to either talk with me or listen. And if they gain value, give me your feedback. Just reach out. I want to hear. I, I want more connections. So I want to hear from people. So I'm going to be the the interview. I usually end with. Where can they find you online? Like, where would they find? Yeah, LinkedIn. Just go punch me in for sure. Absolutely. Right. Check out clearmotive.ca from our website. You can see a little bit like, kind of my world there. But yeah, Instagram is a great place where it's, it, Instagram for me is really just, it's my life. I put podcast mm-hmm. stuff on there. I put adventures People on there. People can DM you there. Yeah, absolutely. Tyler yeah. Chisholm, uh, YYC, go check it out. Um, 
open, I always respond. I'm that guy. Like if you, if you message me, it's part of one of my other make or breaks. If people took the time to reach out. I will take the time to respond a hundred percent. And, uh, but LinkedIn from a business community, LinkedIn's a fantastic platform. I love it. I love how it's just being embraced more and more all the time. And we've had really good engagement from people specifically around the podcast on, on LinkedIn. It's been awesome. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. I'm hardly ever there. Definitely Instagram and, um, Instagram website, but email me directly at Tyler at clearmotive.ca. Like, don't be shy. I'm open for, I'm open for all forms of communication or just stop by. Come on. We're We're just on the belt line. See our sign on McLeod trail. Just come in. We'll have a coffee. We'll hang out. It'll be great. Awesome. Well, I think that's a great wrap up. Thank you so much for letting me have the opportunity and honor to interview. I think that's, that, to me, it's an honor. So thank you. Thank you, Scott. It was a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Right Hello, and thank you for listening to today's episode. I'm Tyler Chisholm, often your host, but in this time, your guest. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I'm truly honored and a bit humbled of putting this out there and putting the story to the world, but in the spirit of they just get it, being honest and transparent and letting people know not only about your shiny moments, but the moments in between is what makes it real and what makes it important. On that note, I want to introduce a special episode or a tag along ending to this one called the fact check. Because when I went back and listened, I stumbled across a few things where I was like, what did I say? Who did I, what? So I want to give you guys a little bit of a fact check on uh, some of the things that maybe didn't come out exactly as I intended in the heat of the moment. The first one that came up for me is I made uh, a comment of, I can live for two months on a good compliment. And then for some reason, I accredited that to John Wayne. I think it's because of an article I recently read about John Wayne and dying of cancer from being on a set of a movie that was actually a nuclear test facility by the U.S. military. And they said it was fine, but it wasn't. He actually developed cancer and passed away because of that. I think that's why he was on my mind. But the reality is that quote is attributed to Mark Twain. I can live for two months on a good compliment. Mark Twain is actually who made that quote. So I want to do a little fact check and correct there because John Wayne just came out so naturally on the podcast and I have no idea where that came from, except maybe that article. The second one, when I was talking about goal setting, and I used the comment, I said, feels more esoteric. I misused the word, or it's not what I meant. I think what I meant, this phase of my life, as my goals are changing away from things that are more tangible, more tactile, like by this day, I want to be here, and I want to own this thing, and go on this trip, and it becomes a lot more about my own journey and my own self-awareness. I think that's what I was looking for, and even sitting here now, I can't, as a more ambiguous, maybe potentially more in the ether, where now my goals are a lot more about this inner journey and evolution that's happening, where they used to be much more tangible and measurable. So interesting one, not sure, definitely didn't use the word correctly, wanted to point that point that out. <laughs> Another one that I thought was quite funny, because it actually completely destroys the point we were talking about, Scott and I got into a conversation about this world we live in that seems to be incredibly polarizing as left versus right. If you're over here, I'm over there. If you disagree with me, then I want to fight you, which is my position is that's extremely unnecessary and it doesn't allow for learning or the opportunity to discover other positions. But what I said was, if you agree with me, I want to fight with you. So completely misspoke in that situation which I think destroyed the whole point of what we were talking about. So I thought that was a fun one to pull out and also something I'm passionate about. Of You can disagree with someone. It's okay. You're not mortal enemies. You just have a different perspective. And heaven forbid, if you're curious enough, you might actually learn from it. And the last one was right at the end, I think a couple, four, four or five minutes left. 
there was a statement when we were talking about is podcasting dead is, you know, is podcast has been around for 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. Is it going away? And both Scott and I believe that it's not the case more and more. And every day we encounter people. I actually did this just the other day. I had to go on someone's phone and open up the podcast app for them on, on their Apple device and show them where to listen to podcasts. And they were like, I really want to listen. I see your post, but I, I honestly, I feel embarrassed. I just don't know how. And what I said was, you know, the demise is understated of most platforms. When, you know, newspaper came out, oh my God, it's going to kill, sorry, radio is going to kill newspaper. Didn't happen. TV is going to kill radio and newspaper. Didn't happen. The internet's going to kill all of it. What it did do is change it. So what I meant to say is the demise the demise is often overstated, not understated. So again, complete opposite, got really excited in the moment, was being as honest as I could with Scott and being so excited and really pulled into the conversation. I think I got a little carried away with my words. Anyways, in the theme of They Just Get It, which is about transparency, humility, and being curious enough to find out what's really going on, I thought an episode of Fact Check, inspired by listening to Dax Shepard's podcast, actually, Armchair Experts, where he does a fact check at the end, which is really quite entertaining. Sometimes it's the best part of the show. So I apologize if this wasn't as entertaining as it could be, but I couldn't leave the uh, dirty laundry lying around without at least picking it up a little bit. Thank you again for listening. It was a complete honor and uh, enjoy. Enjoy.